Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 51 of the PDH Pod, the one and only Magic the Gathering podcast dedicated to the total exploration of the Popo Commander format. I am your host, Liam, and let's see what my co-hosts from the Belagar Coast are up to. First up, Dave, the Alcadron. How are you, things? Uh, things are okay. We're we're having a whole week. I kind of lured myself into this false sense of security by like getting really excited that school is almost over, and then like I had the long weekend. <laughs> And then like uh, yeah. Tuesday happened, and I was like, "Oh no, school is still happening!" Like, Wait, what about stuff. all those daydreams? I still <laughs> yeah. have weeks left. I still <laughs> have to minute. work. Uh, yeah, it was a catastrophic betrayal. <laughs> yeah, I I also felt myself doing that this this weekend. Six more days. That's all it is. TikTok. Uh, and up next, our resident Orzov Pontiff, Brad. How are you doing? Hey, Liam. What's up? I am doing great, man. We got like. 15 hours of sunshine a day now and i'm absolutely loving it i don't know this is my, awesome. my my total my absolute favorite time of year and i i can't get enough of it i wish every day was was like this wish every day was so, 15 hours of sunshine i do like 80 degrees 15 hours of sunshine like it's just it's just awesome you go to bed and the sun's just now setting and you wake up and the sun's already up like that's what i want all the time yeah i can't get enough definitely of it. definitely definitely can agree <laughs> with that so well this week, we've got a very special guest on the show. The Earl of the Early Game, the Master of the Mid Game, the Lord of the Late Game, Papa Papa Ryan. We first had him on way back in episode six. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, do do that now. We will wait until you're done. But Ryan, how are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for having me on the show. The last time we gathered was so much fun. That was a, a great chance to, I believe we talked a little bit about Popper 60 card as it related yeah, to Popper sort of, Commander, mm-hmm. um, if yeah. my memory is serving me right. And um, it's just a total pleasure to be back here. I remember just a moment ago when I hopped in the Discord, it was like, yes, we're back. Get to <laughs> chat with you all in the flesh. Some of my favorite people in this uh, in this space. So yeah, absolutely. yeah huge gratitude yeah. for having you on or having me on again. And um, <laughs> yeah, having you on. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I see how it is. When, when when content when content creators come together, we always forget who's on whose show. Yeah, like yes. right. Thank you, thank Where you are for we? having us, Ryan. Uh, yes, exactly. What's, what's new in Magic? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. It all starts to blend together. I actually um, it does. just recently looked back, and over the last six months, I've done 113 live streams, and um, Ooh, which averages like something like almost one every two days, um, uh-huh. and that doesn't yeah, include the right. edited footage. Um, and so, yeah, sometimes this stuff blurs together. It's just the way, the, the, the nature of the beast when it comes right. to uh, content creation. The grind never stops. Yeah. I would imagine I feel you. 113 streams in 118 <laughs> days, 180 days. Yeah. yeah, that's a lot for sure. But You're yeah, cooking, no, though, um, man. you guys have been doing some awesome stuff. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I, I, it's been so exciting working with um, other other bright minds in the format. Um, for those of you who have seen some of my live streams, um, I've had a chance to work with some really brilliant deck builders. And I've found my brain has been expanding a lot um, in those spaces because I'm learning things all the time from people who do other kinds of magic better than I do. And uh, one of those people I want to shout out is Derek from the RC, who yes. is really mm-hmm. a savant deck builder. And he and I, uh, now we think very similarly because he's 
you know, invited me to explore some of these spaces, uh, particularly in like agro um, and, and, you know, exploring some of these concepts like, um, you know, resource advantage as opposed to card advantage. And, um, and so if you have a chance, uh, definitely check those out and uh, make sure to follow him on Twitter. His takes are hot and often accurate. So um, yes, definitely yes. great. He is but, accurate um, very often. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, in terms of weather here, man, it is sunny. It is lovely. I've been enjoying summer as much as I possibly can. And my days are busy. I get home from work. I want to get outside. And then we're back to live streaming again. So <laughs> it's uh, yesterday. It was like nine till two in the morning. It was crazy. So, yeah, it's a long day. Well, before we get on to the main topic for this week, we've got a little bit of housekeeping to do. If you like the show and like what we're doing here, check us out over on Patreon at patreon.com slash thepdhpod. A big thanks to Jake S. for their increased pledge. By being a Patreon, you get access to the pre-show, which is almost like an unscripted bonus episode every week. And who doesn't want that? Uh, Brad posts the episode on Patreon before it goes out live, along with the show notes, so you can follow along with what the heck we're talking about. And finally, you get access to the PH Pod Discord, where you can chat with the crew, get help with your decks, or help me build a mono white deck from the ground up. <laughs> you can also check out the PDH Pod on YouTube, and you can catch Saturday streams on Twitch.tv/thePDHPod. And speaking of cool places to watch some PDH, in about three weeks, the weekend of June twenty third, we will be in Livonia, Detroit, at RIW Hobbies for a whole weekend of Popo Commander action. A whole ton of awesome community members will be there from all over the country, so you should try to make it and come say hi. I believe that the entire PDH pod crew will be there, and I think Ryan's going to be there as well. I think that so. is right. Um, yeah. I haven't actually announced this officially, but for those of you who haven't heard it here, we'll do the debut. We'll do the announcement. I will be uh, flying to um, to Detroit to hang out. It's going to be. It's going to be so much fun to meet everyone. Yeah. I'm so excited for this. So it's going to be yeah, it's insanely gonna be lit. It's going to be three days of nonstop Popper Commander. Yeah. And I am <laughs> so here for it. Um, yeah, it's going to be super cool to meet, you know, your viewers, um, some of my viewers, patrons, um, everybody out there. So, yeah, yeah, definitely if you've got a chance and you don't have your tickets yet, the tickets are getting a little spendy. So get on it yeah. and uh, get out there. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, RIW just the, months ago, they announced a 1K PDH paper tournament at their shop, and we as a community turned it into a festival. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think it's fair that we can say that this is literally PDH con, and they haven't yeah, called it's it gonna that. Have to I, be. I, uh, RIW, if you're here in this, um, and next year you want some uh, marketing materials made for you, I will, I will go hard. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Let's make that happen. Yeah, no doubt. And finally, this week in Magic, Brad, what do you got for us? Well, we actually do have a little bit of this this week in Magic. Lord of the Rings spoilers have started, but we're not going to talk about that for a couple weeks. And the other big news is the PDH pod is now finally on Twitter. So go ahead and give us a uh, a follow. And you guessed it, just like everything else, we are just twitter.com slash at the PDH pod. So hit us up. We're not even 24 hours old yet. So we're just trying to amass some followers, get some content posted, all that good stuff. So uh, check us out over there as well. Yep. And for those curious about the PDH pod Twitter account, you know, Brad, Brad's on Twitter. I'm on Twitter. Aquadron's not on Twitter. Is this just a front to get him on Twitter? We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. Right. We'll see. We we'll see. 
We don't know. Sounds like a really diplomatic way of saying yes. Like I to be determined. The word, but you will. Uh, you can expect all three of us to be posting from that account. <laughs> oh no! Oh, no. <laughs> that was a yes. Yes. Good. Good. Yes. Oh, Not that I'm man. encouraging anybody to be on Twitter. The the place is um, a, a mixed rough. bag. Um, <laughs> I it's yeah. like I've I've never been a Twitter user. I only use it because it allows me to pump my content out to more people. But yep. um, what is that? tag because i'm just trying i'm trying to follow you guys right now it's at what the pdh pod -Pod. okay yep we're brand new on the twitter sphere all right and for this week's main topic we're going to talk about some mid-range uh this week we've brought ryan on to help us walk our way through some decks that exemplify this honestly sometimes hard to pin down archetype uh, each of us has picked a couple of decks to go over, but this isn't going to be your traditional 3x3 or 4x4 deck dive that you're used to. It's going to be more of a high-altitude alt- high macro approach. Uh, we're going to be talking very broadly about how the decks we've chosen function by first establishing some pillars, because here at the PDH Pod, we love our pillars, and then we'll be touching on how they achieve said results. Speaking of pillars, Dave, do you want to run us through what mid-range pillars look like? I would be delighted to tell you you're what so I good think at it. are the pillars of mid-range. So uh, we're going to, the rest of this episode, we're going to structure it like a standard issue 4x4, uh, but it's going to be one of those really high-altitude 4x4s because we're not really talking about, uh, you know, a deck strategy like Voltron or Aggro, or uh, not Aggro, Voltron or Aristocrats or something, like, pretty pretty specific. We're talking about one of the really broad, overarching archetypes, which is yeah. mid And so we're trying to go... For those dedicated listeners, you might remember this uh, structure from November when we talked about combo, or February when we talked about aggro. Yes, yeah. This is a, this is a, the next installment of that series. Very high altitude three by threes, or in this case, a four by four. So uh, we're going to go through the pillars of pretty pretty broad, pretty general pillars of what makes a deck uh, a good mid range deck, and then we're each going to talk about uh, a couple of different decks that we feel really exemplify these ideas so that we can get a sense of how, how the different decks are going to approach accomplishing these quintessential pillars of mid-rangeness. Because numbers are fake, we're going to start with pillar number two. Pillar number two is how to apply pressure without dying. Very so this important. is, hopefully, the, the, the not dying is going to come up more later. But uh, we want to be not dying while we apply pressure. So yes. this is going to be like how... In what ways is your mid-range deck going to behave like an aggro deck sometimes? Because you do want to be applying that pressure. You have to, you have to be able to mark out the the control decks, the combo decks, the late game decks. You have to be able to mark them out before they hit their late game stride. So that pressure needs to be there. Pillar the the, the second pillar we talk about is going to be pillar three naturally, naturally and that is course. how to not die, as as is tradition. Pillar yep. three, how to not Famous die. Famous pillar three. While still applying pressure. so Ooh, uh, Lots of pressure. You need to be able to pressure out the combo decks, the control decks. You also need to be resilient against the aggro decks. You have to survive the aggro onslaught. You have to get into that mid-game where you've stabilized. You're not bleeding out. You, you can start to do your own thing. So you need some sort of control. You need blockers. You need life gain. You need to do something to survive the aggro decks. Hopefully while still applying pressure. Yes, lots and lots of pressure. The thing that unites these ideas is pillar one, the most important quintessential pillar, and that is how are you going to pivot between these ideas? 
the thing that makes mid-range mid-range is being able to pivot between playing the aggro game, being the beatdown, and playing the control game, not dying. So that's that is I think the quintessential soul of mid-range and pillar four, obviously, as always. How do you not run out of gas? The famous pillar four. It never changes. Never changes. Except it's except great. sometimes when we give Liam creative control over the pillars, and then it <laughs> and it changes a little bit. So to be clear, we're doing pillar two, three, one, four. That's the order. Sounds good to me. Yeah. All right. Sounds like an excellent order. So without further ado, we'll start with pillar two: how to apply pressure while not dying. We've got a couple of decks we're going to talk about. But I'm going to pass it right back over to Dave so he can begin talking about Mayhem Devil. Great. Mayhem Devil, I think, is going to be the first one I talk about in a lot of these pillars because it's the first one I wrote about. And some of my thoughts on the pillar in general are embedded in my notes about Mayhem Devil. So <laughs> perfect. Uh, that's, perfect. that is how it came to be privileged as the first deck on the list uh, by virtue <laughs> of lazy writing. Um, <laughs> oh. uh, Mayhem Devil is a 3-mana three 3-3 three, three in Rakdos colors with the triggered ability whenever a player sacrifices a permanent Mayhem Devil deals 1 damage to anything you want mm -hmm. which is kind of gross one of the ways that Mayhem Devil is going to apply pressure is by triggering all the time you can send his damage to faces uh, you probably shouldn't but you can and that is a possibility because he's seriously going to trigger constantly. Like, however often you think he's going to trigger, he's probably going to trigger twice as much. Right. If he's in play, because it's the any mayhem player all the time. Any player, someone cracks an E wilds, deal damage. damage to their face. <laughs> like, make punish them. E that E wilds is now an actual fetch. Is that, that treasure worth that, one uh, life? That uh, text there reads basically: whenever anyone sacrifices anything, you deal one damage to anything. Constantly, and it it happens so much more than you think it's going to happen. How often do you miss uh, triggers, Alk? Uh, me personally, never. I watch that field like <laughs> a hawk. I like am, a hawk. I am constantly scoping. Like anytime someone touches a card, I'm like, "Is it going to die? Are you sacrificing it?" Right. I am. I am eagle eyeing that board constantly. But and you know, simultaneously, I'm... the the uh, you know the, the the element of this pinging things for damage. Um, is something that is easy to forget, um, but it is constant, constant. Yeah, yeah. so it's you love easy. Playing... It's like yeah, you, like there's no downtime playing Mayhem Devil. Yeah, no. you love playing against Duo Drone and Myriad Creatures. Oh my god, gut. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, Myriad Creatures get exiled, right? They oh, that's true. They, they sacrifice. Yeah, you don't sacrifice. Yeah, Myriad, Myriad doesn't trigger Mayhem Devil. Encore does um, though. Encore does trigger Mayhem Devil. Uh, yeah. Impulsive Pilferer is. Eight triggers by itself. God. Yep. It is <laughs> a lot. It is just lot. goes impulsive pilfer goes burr. So yeah, um, serious burr. That is one of the ways you're going to apply pressure is by just shooting people directly in their face with mayhem devil. An important thing to talk about in this deck is that this deck, much more than many of the other decks we're going to talk about, is fairly commander agnostic, which is our vaguely idiosyncratic, maybe not correct, grammatically correct way of saying that this deck is perfectly happy to function without its commander for a while. Mm -hmm. And it's going to apply pressure without its commander even in play by just like really kind of aggressive little beater creatures that are like just valuable enough that they're going to 
get in damage and lower life totals, but not quite valuable enough to eat removal spells in the face. Right. Those are the best. So kind. these these are your you know belligerent guests is a three mana three two with trample that makes a blood token when it connects. And those blood tokens get sacrificed. Yes, they do. Uh, blood Craze Socialite is another vampire. It's a four mana, three, three with menace. It gives you a blood token on ETB, and it lets you sacrifice blood to give it plus two, plus two on attack. So this is this is more sacrifice triggers. And like, if if you're only playing this as a four mana creature that routinely attra- attacks as a five, five menace, like, that's fine. Yeah, like, you that's good. You don't need it to deal an extra damage with Mayhem Devil for that to be worth it. Nope. Right. But yeah. like... <laughs> It's better when it's dealing an extra damage with Mayhem Devil. Yeah. Oh, for so like, sure. Sure. So this is this is how you're gonna um, keep yourself in the uh, in the aggro game, just with lots of like little little utility creatures that are gonna keep the pressure on, and lots of Mayhem Devil triggers that are gonna be putting the the hurt on life totals. I like it. Yeah. I I want to pass it over to Ryan so that Ryan can tell us about one of his decks. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Sure. Um, one of the things to keep in mind, too, that does play just as a, a cap off on Mayhem Devil that plays a big role. Um, and there are lots of different builds of Mayhem Devil out there, so I won't um, I won't pontificate solely about mine. But the, the way that I approach it is with treasures and blood. So if you really want to understand Mayhem Devil in the sort of competitive sense that I've approached mine in, um, it is on this interaction between if treasure you, and blood. Um, if you want to so, understand Ryan's Mayhem Devil list, what you need to do is you need to read the card... Beamtown Beatstick. Yes, and we were just talking about this before the show. I had a, I have a very long list of sideboard cards, um, and sideboard is more to say these are cards that I want in the deck that are hard to find space for because Mayhem Devil is a deck that, as I talk about in my primer, is basically PDH stonks. You mm-hmm. are never ever going to have an easy time making cuts for all the insane, stupid cards that they print that either make tokens that sacrifice themselves or artifacts. Um, yep. Basically, they're going to, you know, eventually we're going to get some weird thing like potions. You know, um, we we may even get, I, I will uh, go forward on a, on a limb here. I think the next command zone, novel command zone permanent is going to be equipment. And they're going to be something along the lines of like, um, like iconic weapon or maybe like a signature weapon. And so when we see those, there will be common versions of them that will work with your command zone. And so, um, yeah, Mayhem Devil is a great deck to quote unquote invest in, even though mine is only $38. And um, that interaction between blood and treasure tokens is that the treasure creates the, uh, the, the mana you need to crack blood. So the moment you resolve Mayhem Devil, you can produce as many triggers as you can, as you want to, as many as, as you have cards to discard with the blood tokens. So, but... With that, transitioning over into Rilsa Rail. So Rilsa Rail is a mid-range deck. I would classify it as an aggressive mid-range deck. And that is because the command zone, and if we talk about the creature real quick, it's three blue and a black for a 2-5 death touch human rogue. When it enters the battlefield, you're going to gain the initiative. And when you attack, you're going to give combat stims to one of your creature, you're going to give them death touch at first. But once you've completed a dungeon, which in this case will be the Undercity, that creature is instead going to get plus five, plus O, first strike, menace, and death touch. And so, um, which is monstrous. Uh, Just (laughs) being able to take any creature in your deck and amplify it to that level either turns it into the the double abyss, where they're not able to effectively block your damage without sacrificing enormous amounts of board presence, or they're going to take a ton of damage. And of course, the deck is loaded with cards 
that make that decision even harder to make because a lot of them are combat damage triggers like Wanti Fangblade, which is going to venture into the dungeon, Jessian Thief, which is going to draw cards when it hits, Ninja the Deep Hours draws cards when it hits, um, and then, of course, we also have the Moon Circuit Hacker. Now, Th what's Those are so good in Rilsa, like yeah, crazy they're, good. they're nuts. Um, and we can, you know, maybe before we sign off on Rilsa, we can talk about kind of how those cards interact with First Strike, but um, just know that Ninjutsu in First Strike is uh, a weird form of Double Strike, and it's really busted. It's really yeah. strong. It's one of the one of the mechanics that I actually didn't know worked in the deck for a long time. And when I figured out it did, it just massively increased my value of this particular deck in a competitive meta. Um, so what's what what's interesting about Rilsa is that it is an aggressive mid-range deck. Um, what makes it aggressive is that the whole of the 37 creatures, the vast majority Ooh. of them are under 3 CMC. Um, with a heavy bias towards one and two CMC creatures. So um, there's a, a low curve in the 99, even though the commander is five mana. I, the, I'm realizing yeah, now that your Rilsa deck is very different from my Rilsa deck. Yeah, yeah. Yep. This, 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 is a, this, this deck is a uh, Frankenstein, and it got this way because I've built Rilsa four different ways now. <laughs> and, um, and the That's reason easy to do. That, that is surprisingly it, easy oh, to yeah. do. Oh, yeah. For sure. I mean, I have 170 cards in my considering, 143 cards in my considering, Ooh, and none of them Jesus. are bad. Um, right. So <laughs> now, now by playing it a lot, um, I have discovered, I think, what is what I feel is is a very powerful approach to it. And so you've got this low curve. The second ingredient is that the creatures are evasive. Um, and this is almost across the board. Uh, we have Changeling Outcasts, we have Cloudfin Raptor, we have Fairy Seer, Okiba Reckoner Raid, Slitherblade, Triton Shore Stalker, Vault Scourge, stuff like that, where you're basically able to apply pressure in small amounts early on. And then as the game progresses um, into that mid game, then those creatures are now suddenly terrifying. Um, a Cloudfin Raptor easily grows to be three, four power on a mm -hmm. one one yep. um, on its own. But if you give Triton Shorestalker plus five plus oh, it, it's hitting for six <laughs> and it's unblockable. So the idea is that we scale really well through the game. So what we have is a mid-range commander in an aggressive deck. So I've teetered back and forth. Is this an aggro deck? Is it a mid-range deck? It's an aggressive mid-range deck. Um, not to get too um, uh, semantic-y, but I think that sure. the semantics of this do matter because there are different builds of the deck. So cheap creatures, evasive creatures, and then we want creatures that do things on combat damage or creatures that um, that uh, basically just constantly want to be attacking and generating value. And so um, in this particular context of how to apply pressure, this deck does it really well. Um, the Death Touch grants us a form of evasion as well. And and then the the Rilsa is coming down somewhere in the mid-game. It's, it's actually, this is another commander um, ambivalent deck in a way um, because... Mm -hmm. One, Rilsa is very difficult to kill. She's five toughness and she's black. So, yeah. um, you know, Executioner's Capsule, Snuff Out, Doomblade, Spinning Darkness. These spells do not kill Rilsa. They can't even target Rilsa. And she's legendary, um, so there's And she's legendary. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. Cast Down doesn't hit her either. Um, and she's got Death Touch. So she's actually a very, like, defensive creature on her body, but the trigger makes her very aggressive. So Exactly. Now, just to give a, a quick... Um, brief brief synopsis on the initiative initiative is an emblem that emblem is going to operate a lot like monarch except it's going to trigger every upkeep if you have it 
The other thing that initiative does is that if you gain the initiative or if you venture into any dungeon while you are in the Undercity, you are going to continually progress through that Undercity um, every time you do it. So if you have the initiative and you play Vicious Battle Rager, you're going to progress into the next stage of the Undercity. So what that does is it allows Rilsa, it creates a cognitive dissonance on the part of your opponent, where Rilsa being in play allows us more triggers, but killing Rilsa allows us to recast Rilsa. <laughs> right. And recasting <laughs> Rilsa means we get further into the initiative. So, um, so, and she doesn't really attack on her own. So in a lot of ways, it's like people are going to have a hard time justifying killing Rilsa when there's a combo player doing scary things, right? Um, mm -hmm. Especially because Rilsa is going to be part of ending that combo player. So this is a really interesting example of like a mid-range deck because it it actually has very aggressive elements. Another similar uh, analogous version of this would be Passageway Seer, where there's a heavy focus on my build, has a heavy focus on uh, there's 17 one drops, 12 two drops, and like maybe six three drops. But the deck is all about evasion, cheap creatures, getting in early, and then your command zone is giving you that mid-range uh, pressure as well as the mid-range um, that comes from the initiative. Having initiative in the command zone is a phenomenal uh, thing to have as a mid-range deck. Yeah, and then some of the ways that, that, we're, that we're also applying pressure, we have cranial plating in the deck, we have bone splitter, um, and then we have cards like Gary, which are incredible closers oftentimes we will find gary off of the throne of the dead three which is the ultimate or the sort of end point of the undercity and i use the word ultimate because um the undercity is a planeswalker in almost every way shape and form the ability to flip a gary into play is obviously quite powerful um but then we can reuse things like gary with the ninjutsu to apply even more pressure yeah. um so there's definitely some strong uh, synergistic elements there. And that kind of, um, that is, oh, uh, one other element I do want to mention too that, that has a lot to do with this is that Proliferate is actually remarkably good in this deck. Um, and Proliferate is going to allow us to increase the number of counters on creatures. Um, the second stage of the, uh, of the Undercity that you may choose is called the Forge. And the Forge allows you to put two plus one plus one counters on things. When things come in off of Throne of the Dead Three, which is the fifth stage or the ultimate of the um, Undercity, then it comes in with three plus one plus one counters. We also have Gluttonous Slug and, and the Cloudfin Raptor, which also put plus one plus one counters on things. And then, of course, the new disgusting card in the deck, which is Seba Cryptomancer. Um, all of these cards are putting oh, plus God, one plus one counters so on good. things. Dude, Seba Cryptomancer, I slept on this card until I realized that it was a repeatable form of Hexproof that put counters on things in a deck that wants them, while also becoming a five-power creature when you buff it with Rilsa that has Hexproof. Yeah. <laughs> um, everything about this card is disgusting in this deck. Um, it's a great card in other decks, too, but that kind of wraps up um, that in terms of um, Rilsa. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, Rilsa is super powerful, and it's... Yeah, it, it's a very tricker, tricky commander to play against. That, that's for sure. Yeah, Rilsa's, yeah, Rilsa's pressure is extremely combat based. With a little, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. little evasive. Yeah. Rilsa is basically uh, wanting to be attacking early and often with evasive creatures. It's mostly it's going to be mostly through combat damage. Yeah, there used to be cards like um, like Vampire Spawn uh, in here too, where you could ninjutsu those and play them as well. Um, but ultimately. Um, those cards uh, left the deck in an effort to uh, lower the curve. And I will say, too, for those of you that are watching or following the deck um, and the list, 
um, you may see more and more one drops coming into the deck as time goes on because they're just so good. Um, I don't even have tormented um, tormented soul in here yet, um, which is the one black one one can't be blocked can't block. And then there's also mist cloak herald. Yeah, and there's um, like changeling of... outcast and yeah, like changeling that. outcast is in the deck, um, and that's okay. because it's actually a rogue and a human. Yes, and, yes, it is. Um, that is important for the one prowl card in the deck, which is uh, latchkey fairy. Um, so Latchkey Fairy is a three, a four mana, three, one flying. You can prowl it for three. It's a fairy rogue. When it enters the battlefield, if its prowl cost was paid, you draw a card. So three mana, three, one flying that draws a card is really good in the deck. Um, and so that's yeah, that's one of the reasons we have that there. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a lot. Great. That is a lot. <laughs> Tell me about Minthara. All right. I love Minthara. Anybody that knows me knows I love Minthara. It's probably the most scrumptious Orzov commander we have. Uh, but sort of unlike the last two that Alec and Ryan were talking about, this deck sort of doesn't really function if Minthara is not on the table. We have to keep Minthara on the table. Because for those who are unfamiliar, Minthara is a 4-mana 2-2 with Ward X, where X is the number of experience counters you have. At the beginning of your end step, if a permanent you control left the battlefield, you get an experience counter. And then one more line of text. Creatures you control get plus one, plus O oh for each experience counter you have. That is huge. That is going to come up huge in the late game. So Minthara really, it, it's a powerfully strong but often slow, just grindy mid-range deck. Like when people think of Orzov, they think of grindy. This is exactly what Minthara is. It loves to chip away at those life totals as early as possible starting from turn two, like starting from the first turn that one of your creatures can attack, get those life totals down as quick as possible. Not only are they going to get in early damage, they also make great flicker targets. And those, by flickering them, you get those experience counters. If you flicker a Thraben Inspector, not only is the Thraben Inspector leaving the battlefield, but you get another clue to crack later to trigger Minthara, all that kind of stuff. All the worms crossing patrols, the myriad creatures... They hit for great damage. They also trigger Minthara. You know, all these little bitty bodies, they all add together to make one gigantic deck. You know, you're not really going to win with a single Spirited Companion or a single Kami of False Hope, but you're going to win with all of them on the board. Um, these bodies turn into beaters once Minthara sticks. And if she sticks, all you have to do is protect her. You know, and they get, if you've, if you got a board of six or eight creatures in the late game and they get plus one, plus three, whatever plus power they get, you know, that's how you close out the games. But basically to apply the, um, to apply pressure, you just have to start, you just have to start doming people with your little bitty creatures. And what's nice about that too, is you're going to get a few hits in before they either decide to start blocking or before they pay attention to you. So if you're, if you're slick enough about it, you know, you may take nine total damage off the table before Minthara, before they realize that your deck is actually a problem. And then uh, finally, the, the, the great part here is creatures you control get plus one, plus O oh for each experience counter that you have. Mm, and damn. note that they, your creatures only get that plus one, plus O oh if Minthara is on the board. You don't lose mm. the experience counters, but you only get that combat buff or that power buff if she is actively on the board during when, when you want her to be on the board. And it's noteworthy that Minthara is the only commander, I believe, that we have that has experience counters. As far as I know, yes, I think that's yeah. correct. Yeah. yeah, this oh. is uh, 
Yeah, Brad. Some, one of these days, we gotta we gotta have you over on the con- connoisseurs, and we'll do a uh, do a breakdown of how you've built it because this is a commander that I continually bitch about on uh, on Twitter, <laughs> saying <laughs> yeah, that I, I, I don't I don't it. know how to build it. It freaks me out. <laughs> it's too many different ways to build it. Yeah, there there are a ton of different ways you can build it as straight up Orzov aristocrats or flicker deck or pestilence deck or what have you. But I just went straight up grindy mid range and and I love it. So, but yeah, we'll have to definitely have to get get together sometime on that. But yeah, pretty straightforward, Mithara. There's nothing fancy going on. You just want permanence to leave the battlefield. You want that early pressure with your small creatures to build into bigger creatures, and pretty straightforward. What we got next, Dave? I'm going to tell you about my. This is, I think, perhaps my favorite mid-range deck. One that I I love Mayhem Devil dearly. I'll be honest. I took it apart. Sure. Um, oh no. Well, I didn't, sad. I didn't I didn't take it apart. I gave it to Blake and Blake took it apart and he rebuilt it completely different than I did. Yeah. Uh it's still there. It's it's on my shelf. Blake keeps all his decks in my house. Uh it's well, on my shelf. I can play it. Admittedly, you're but, you're generally in, in more casual pods, right? So right, exactly. Uh, like we've talked the, about this like ad nauseum. Yeah. Mayhem Devil is not a deck that plays com- like casual at all. You can build less competitive versions of it, <laughs> but you can't build casual my, versions of it. Unless you only less... go face. Maybe maybe you're supposed to only go face if you play casual. That's probably the <laughs> answer, right? Well, only face or sun colored raptors that were no, not sun colored. Yeah, that's sun a hunters. great idea. I mean, yeah. that might be good and competitive. I mean, that card is insane, right? What is it? Yeah. Five mana, four, three or five, four, three? That the has five, four. The five, four? The five, Why four. Why am I not playing this card? I think it's a six mana, five, four with Ugh. enraged. Every time it takes damage, it deals three damage to a player. Yeah, so it triples your mayhem devil damage. Yeah, that's uh, pretty awesome. Yeah, super fun. But I mean, it's six mana, so. Um, but no, uh, this is the mayhem. I, I'm, the deck I'm going to tell you about right now. This is the... The quintessential mid-range deck that I still have put together, and it is Vohar, the Voldanian Desecrator. This is a two-mana blue-black merfolk. Uh, I think he's a one-two. I don't actually remember his stat line. Mostly, I remember he has a two abilities. He has a tap ability that lets you draw a card and discard a card. And if the thing you discard is an instant or sorcery, you get to drain the table for one. Seems and he good. has a second ability where for two mana, you can sacrifice him at sorcery speed, which is very mm-hmm. sad. Uh, <laughs> Big sad. But basically gives any any spell in your graveyard flashback equal to its mana cost. So if there's a very important spell you need and it's in your graveyard, you just get to use it a second time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he goes to your command zone and you can recast him for cheap because he's super cheap and then do it again. So lots of versatility here. The number one way Vohar is going to pressure life totals is just with that looting ability that drains life. Mm-hmm. You use that enough times. And you, if you get if you get five triggers off of that, that's you know a sixth of everyone's life totals, yeah. and then you gain that all as life. So it's a uh, it's not it's easy to overlook when people are deciding where to put their removal, but it does add up, which is pretty important. Yeah, and that's um, what I was saying too about the Minthara. Like the early drop creatures are pinging in. Like no one wants wants to waste removal on a Thraben Inspector, but once right. it hits you four times, you're probably annoyed enough to spend a, a card on it. <laughs> right. Like uh, when the Thraben Inspector is a four-two. Right. Uh, now we got and, problems. So yeah, uh, I'm going to my Vohar list is going to continue pressuring life totals with cards like Crushing Disappointment, which makes everyone lose life. Vampire's Kiss is a targeted drain life spell. Stronghold Discipline is my favorite. This is a four-mana sorcery that says everyone loses life equal to the number of creatures they control. 
Oh, I love so, that so much. Uh, yeah, wow. that is I so love good it. right now. Have you ever, yeah, have you ever cast it and then flashed it back with Bohar to just cast it again? <laughs> I the have same not. I bet that feels good. Uh, feels really good. This is yeah, this is my good. this is my win condition in Bohar. It's just stronghold discipline. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'm gonna get a lot of uh, incremental life draining in throughout the spells in this deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm also gonna pressure life totals with madness creatures. The thing I love about Vohar, he is that discard engine. He's going to let me run a lot of madness creatures like Kitchen Imp, Hell Mongrel. Uh, these guys can get really aggressive. They can they can swing in. They can damage the life. They can they can get in there and uh, take some chunks out of some people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I I use them a lot for blocking, which yep. is how I'm going to apply pressure, like while still not dying. And mm-hmm. like Vohar's going to gain me life. That's how I apply pressure without dying. Uh, but that's it. That's uh, that's the plan. We're gonna do some life drain. Gonna get some madness creatures. Get some chip damage in there. Great. I love it. I like it. Well, with that, shall I take us into third path iconoclast? I would love to hear about third path. Do iconoclast. it. Yeah, I yeah. definitely want to hear about this. I know this is a this, deck you've been uh, championing for a while. Yeah, I have only ever assembled a deck faster. Um, <laughs> When Sailor's Bane came out, Sailor's Bane, of course, being the nine mana seven seven ward four with the text, uh, its cost is reduced by one colorless for each instant sorcery or card with adventure in your graveyard or in exile, mm-hmm. meaning it is a two mana seven seven ward four that you never pay more mana for. The that's that's I, not. That's not a mid-range deck. Tell us about the mid-range deck. Yeah, the only reason I mentioned that is because <laughs> is because I built this one only marginally slower. I built Sailor's Bane three hours after it was spoiled in Japanese. I went and was I, I bought the cards and I assembled it and I was playing it. TPI, um, or Iconoclast, Third Path Iconoclast, I'll just refer to it as TPI from here on out, is a blue and a red for a human monk 2-1. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, create a 1-1 colorless soldier artifact creature token. So um, for those of you who've been following some of my work, you know that I'm, I'm a hashtag bird gang enthusiast, um, which means Murmuring <laughs> Mystic. Uh, Murmuring Mystic is a 1-5 for three and a blue human wizard, I want to say, that um, creates 1-1 blue uh, bird tokens, illusion bird tokens, every time you cast an instance or a sorcery. Uh, Third Path Iconoclast is half the cost. It's red, and it triggers off of non-creature spells making artifacts. Okay, so um, there's a lot lot, to love there. A lot of going on, yep. And I'll be honest, uh, I used to joke um, that, wow, wouldn't it be insane if they gave Murmuring Mystic a second color someday? (laughs) And they did so much more than that. Um, So, as I just described, so... TPI, the way I have it built, um, this is a phenomenal like spike deck. If you're looking for a deck to take to a tournament, you're going to have answers to everything. You're going to make tons of bodies. Mm-hmm. You're generally going to be the second, third, or fourth scariest player at the table. Um, there's going to be a balance of card selection spells that are really cheap, and then these big bangers like Distant Melody, Keep Watch, and that that are going to refill your hand or they're just going to give you 15 cards. Um, Right. (laughs) uh, Like insane card advantage. Um, The deck also has an an Ophidian Eye tandem lookout uh, curiosity combo. So for those of you unfamiliar with curiosity, it's any effect that that triggers off of damage done to an opponent. And it has to be just damage. Um, 
you put tandem look out, you soul bond, uh, do soul bond with any of the pingers. Uh, and we run more pingers in this deck than any other deck in CPDH or mm -hmm. in Popper Commander in general. Um, because we also make artifacts, we also make creatures, and we also cast lots of non-creature spells. So all of those things work together. The other one is Ophidian Eye. This is an aura. Um, and so the way that we apply pressure in this deck is, is actually kind of nuanced. Um, it's going to be very pod dependent. Um, and playing this deck well is going to require that you know how to leverage those bodies when it's important. Early game, these bodies are going to be mainly blockers and maybe even through the mid game because we only have two spells in the deck that make those creatures bigger we play uh volatile claws which is two and a red instant until end of turn creatures you control get plus two plus oh and all creature types which also doubles as a protection spell against fiery cannonade and breath weapon um, as well as eye blight ending and or sorry eye blight massacre also eye blight ending but then other weird stuff like Victim of Night for targeted removal. But this is an anthem that we can kill the table with. The other one is Pack Tactics, uh, which is two and a red, instant speed. Uh, attacking creatures are going to get plus X, plus O, where X is the number of players being attacked, and you're going to draw a card. So generally speaking, we only want to use these when we have sufficient attackers and maybe some protection where mm -hmm. we can counter some interaction and then like kill one to two players and make it into a 1v1 or end the game with one of these spells. So... Um, if there's a lot of pressure on the board, we're going to be keeping up blockers. That's for stuff like if a gut player gets into their head that we need to die, um, then we're going to be holding up blockers. In terms of applying pressure, we're actually applying pressure by proxy of the fact that we can swing in with like 10 creatures and maybe two of them get blocked and we're going to get eight damage in. So we're swarming. Um, with completely indispensable creatures like yeah they're really like early mid game that's right like early mid game they're 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 useful because we need to have a certain number of them to do the things we want to do right uh, we right. want to have metalcraft on we want to be able to cast things like meeting of minds we want to be able to cast like um cards they're expendable like share discovery yep. yeah they're expendable exactly um and we're able to apply pressure with them on combo players pretty readily because they generally don't have a lot of blockers or their blockers are very small and they don't want to trade 1-1 untapper like in Gretchen for a 1-1 token that I made because I cast a ponder. Um, so generally speaking, we're going to be acting a little bit like an aggro deck um, in maybe turn four, turn five, where we're like attacking combo players with this. If there's an aggro player that's pressuring us, then we might need to hold them up. Uh, ending the game is going to come in the form of those um, of those anthems. However, the other form of pressure that we have is the aforementioned pingers. So we have Firebrand Archer, Kessig Flame Breather, Reckless Fireweaver, Thermal Alchemist, uh, Ingenious Artillerist, and Witty Roastmaster, as well as Impact Tremors, as ways to uh, soften our opponents up with the triggers that we get just by casting our spells. Um, and all of those uh, creatures in one way, shape, or form read, I cast a spell, I ping everybody for one. So a lot of times, like the best opening hands are going to be like TPI, uh, Mana Rocks, Lands, and then like one of these pingers. Yep. Um, and they're going to soften people up to the point where, you know, swinging in for eight, you know, with a bunch of one ones is going to be really problematic for somebody's life total. Um, and then the final way that we can apply pressure and actually end the game is with Massive Raid. Uh, massive Raid is one red and a red instant. It deals damage to target creature or player equal to the number of creatures we control. 
Do note that in this deck, Massive Raid is also a counter spell because a person's spell goes off the stack when they die. So um, if they have a combo spell uh, that they're trying to combo off with, or if they're trying to sweep your board, you can use Massive Raid to kill them instead. And, um, and it's a powerful, it's basically murder that uh, also reads murder a player. And um, <laughs> those are the spells that we use there. The final one I'll mention is makeshift munitions. If we ever untap and we have makeshift munitions in play, maybe we have, you know, 10 tokens and a bunch of rocks. We can sink all of our mana into sacking our board and just yeeting it at somebody's face. So, That's um, good times. So we, yeah. So we have Swarm, we have Pingers, we have Boom Headshots, and we have Anthems. Um, and that's how we apply pressure without dying. Yeah, that's how we apply pressure. <laughs> nice. And it does it very well and very fast. Yeah. And there's, yeah, uh, I, sh I will mention one. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. So I've, I've heard TPIs uh, gained quite a reputation in the last six months. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, Murmuring Mystic is one of my highest win rate decks of all time. Um, mm -hmm. And this is in many ways better. There yeah. are nuances to that. Flyers are a problem for TPI. So the fact that Murmuring Mystic makes them is huge. Uh, Murmuring Mystic also doesn't die as easily. Um, TPI dies to everything, including if you, you know, if it's a sweeper, then your engine and your things die. It also um, doesn't get Airborne Aid, which is like your third copy of Distant Melody. Airborne Aid uh, says three and a blue, draw cards equal to number of birds in play, um, which is just a really silly card, but like, you know, it's Distant Melody. So and uh, the other thing is that, yeah, Murmuring Mystic is a 1-5. Um, so there's, there's all the like flying synergies that come with that, like Winged Words and um, Lofty Denial and Abjure, which is a one-mana counterspell. You have to sack a blue permanent for it. Um, so you do lose things. It's not a straight-across upgrade, but it's the deck that I really enjoy playing right now. The cost sure. of the commander is a big part of that, and the ability to end the games really rapidly when you want to do that is that. Um, and then the last thing I want to mention about it is just that generally speaking, it's actually, it's actually not very fast. Um, we're biding our time and just trying to take advantage of all this insane card advantage, like treasure cruise, thought cast, shared discovery of one mind, meeting of minds, perilous research, keep watch secrets of the golden city and distant melody is like the most disgusting package of busted draw spells I can possibly imagine. So, um, we definitely want to have time to let that stuff sort of, uh, build up. So. Yeah, you gotta let that marinate a little bit. Yeah, yeah, but that's it. That's TPI. Solid. And that is a very, very strong deck. And you wouldn't... I, I think a lot of people missed that TPI is actually like a mid-range deck at heart. When it came out, everyone's like, is it spells? You know, Blitz, you know, mm -hmm, Pingers, mm -hmm. this and that. But it ended up... It turned out to be a very, very strong mid-range deck. Commander. Yeah, and without waxing poetic anymore about it, um, you can't. There are lots of other builds of the deck that are also very good. So I encourage you all to experiment with that. Um, aggro builds with lots of anthems are also probably a good way to do it. So mm -hmm. yeah, check that out. Awesome. Let's go ahead and move on to pillar three: how to not die while applying pressure. Uh, pillar three, as Dave mentioned earlier in the episode, is kind of how your mid-range deck is, I believe, acting as a control deck. Yeah. This is this is the way that right. your mid range get deck is gonna pretend to do controlly things so that it doesn't die to aggro. Uh, yep, lives long enough to do the mid range thing. Yeah, and for that, I'm just gonna pass it right off to Dave to talk about Mayhem Devil and how it acts as a control deck. Yeah, uh, for a lot of the decks that we mentioned here, how to not die is just gonna be you know a robust control suite of 
probably in most of these cases the most efficient and high powered control spells in that are available in the format you know cast down go for the throat lightning bolt lots of things like that uh and mayhem devil certainly runs these cards uh it's in Rakdos colors so you can expect a really good control suite but i want this pillar yeah. to focus on this the very specific way the ways that are like unique to mayhem devil and the other decks that we have here that are going to accomplish this while while still applying that pressure to do the mid-rangey thing so mm -hmm. i think that my favorite example of this card in the mayhem devil deck is probably deadly derision which is it's a four mana instant destroy target creature then make a treasure token so in terms of total mana mm -hmm. expenditure it's a murder it costs one more but it gives you that one more back in the form of a treasure token but that treasure token is also an extra damage off the Mayhem Devil, so that's like still we're we're getting back into the pressure yes. that you can apply with this Devil. Yeah. I also want to talk about things like a Bloody Betrayal is a oh, that is my oh, favorite so ever. This is a three <laughs> that card a is three amazing. mana threaten effect. I'm I'm old enough to think of threaten effects instead threaten, of active yeah. treason effects. Um, yeah, we can call it that. It's a three mana threat and effect. You temporarily gain someone's creature and it gains haste and you untap it. Uh, with the added bonus of creating a blood token. And if you mm -hmm. if you bloody betrayal into an innocent blood or a fleshbag marauder <laughs> or a chain devil or a yep. kraken, what's the kraken? Rot tide gargantua? Like we have we have like five of these innocent blood effects now, and it's gross because like sacrificing someone else's creature is crazy control value and then everyone else sacrifices a another creature as well and you get four mayhem devil triggers like this is how you keep the pressure on <laughs> like there's Absolutely there's no creatures disgusting. left to target yeah. with mayhem devil after that and so you just send all four of that damage to someone's face that's how you apply it's a lava axe <laughs> it's a lava axe that kills take, four yeah, of yeah, your opponent's yeah, creatures it's a lava axe for four mana and you get the blood token out of the betrayal it's oh my god anyway well and you're getting like Vraska's fall right like the same thing instant speed for three yeah. mana oh we have six of them now yeah. i forgot Vraska's fall Vraska's fall doesn't let you sacrifice yeah. Yeah. something so i feel like it's worse that's true you yeah you only get three triggers of that you need the fourth right. one so you can sacrifice whatever you stole with but yeah. bloody betrayal it's not a it's not true trigger tribal if you like the whole table evolved <laughs> Now, of course, that being said, three mana, everybody loses one creature, and we deal one damage three times is at instant yeah, speed sure. is very, very Solid strong. Um, the like the, the secondary benefit of these edicts being that if they have a wide board, all those triggers are going to help you clear it up in a way that those edicts will be more effective. So that's yeah. really strong. So yeah, that's uh, I mean, in addition to the standard issue control suite, these are the the special ways that Mayhem Devil is going to accomplish not dying while still applying pressure. And it does it very well. Like <laughs> yeah. 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 So then we've got Rilsa. Yeah. Back back to Rilsa. Bay Rilsa. Um, Bay Rilsa. That's right. Yeah. So Rilsa is another, you know, it's a Demir deck. Uh, it's positioned well to deploy a lot of efficient uh, removal and a wide, you know, coverage of things uh, with, you know, your non-permanent type bounce effects as well as the incredible kill spells that Black offers us. Um, the way that we don't die here, cards like Snuff Out, Defile, Aether Spellbomb, Echoing Decay, and Echoing Truth. If you aren't playing these cards right now, um, you may have forgotten that um, Gut is a thing, Abdel is a thing, <laughs> TPI is a thing. Yep. Um, some of like the decks that are 
seeing a lot of play right now that are that are very good are ex- very vulnerable to these spells. Um, they're cheap, they're instant speed. Even Echoing Decay is two mana, and it's minus two, minus two. It still kills a gut, and it wipes out every gut token in play um, if there's no um, Inspiring Leader. Yeah. So um, great spells. We have Go for the Throat, Grasp of Darkness. Um, Grasp of Darkness and Victim of Night are phenomenal kill spells. They don't always come up in searches when you're looking for destroy effects, but they generally read Terminate, um, and that's that's good. Yeah. We also play Resculpt because Rilsa is a 2-5 death touch. Resculpt generally reads Exile Target Creature. They make a 4-4, and it attacks the rest of the table for the rest of the game. Yep. Um, so pretty sick in that regard. We have our Oubliette, which, of course... Um, you know, this is a controversial card, but um, <laughs> it is in the deck. Uh, it's a good card. Um, and then we have a Precipitous Drop is another one. So, yeah, I mean, if we were to generically describe it, we have 14 removal spells that are targeted. And one, uh, let's see, two of them are repeatable. So the one that's repeatable that I haven't mentioned so far is actually Viridian Longbow. Viridian Longbow is really gross when you can tutor it up, and it's really gross when your commander is death-touching. Yep. Um, so Viridian Longbow is um, is in the deck for that purpose, allows us to repeatedly ping things with death-touch. The beauty of it is that if Rilsa dies on the stack, the damage still has death-touch, so it's still going to kill that creature. The other card I wanted to mention, too, is Faceless Butcher. This is a card that, that sees almost no play in CPDH, and... With the advent of Alabaster Host Intercessor, the six mana three four plane cycling white card that has mm-hmm. um, that's basically a uh, a banisher priest, um, so it's going to enter the battlefield and exile a creature until it leaves the battlefield. Yeah, Faceless Butcher is the same thing in black. It's four mana though for a two three enters the battlefield, exiles a creature. Separate trigger. Keep that in mind. When it leaves play, return that card back into play. These card, this card with ninjutsu is a repeatable way of targeting people's command zone and completely hosing their commanders. Yeah. Um, only psychopaths allow their commander <laughs> to stay under a card like this because, and I think it generally, probably like 80 plus percent of the time, it is correct to put your commander back to the command zone. Because if you don't, you're going to be waiting on a kill spell that may never arrive again to get your what, commander back. What's so, really wild about um, these cards is that they yeah. used to function completely differently. Like years years ago, yeah, yeah. when moving to the command zone was a replacement effect, then that means that mm-hmm. something like Alabaster Host Intercessor sent the card directly to the command zone, which means that yes. uh, if if you killed the intercessor, your card would your commander would come back into play from the command zone because that's where the intercessor left it. Now. That's wild. Things yeah. Have, yeah. things changed a couple of years ago with you know it's it's not a replacement effect anymore. Now it's a when it gets exiled or uh, put in the graveyard or changes zones in some way as a state based action, you can choose to move it from that new zone into the command zone, which yeah. means that the in, the intercessor yeah. is going to put it into exile, and then you are moving it from exile into the command zone. The intercessor is not putting yes. it into the command zone, so if you kill the intercessor, yeah. it doesn't come back for free. Which is a, a massive shift right, exactly. in favor of the intercessor and the butcher and all these things. Yeah, and and this is and this is huge, and and this is kind of a like a sneak peek and in, in a sense into I think some like really hot tech is that when you can attach uh, a body 
to a creature that targets the most important thing in the game, which is people's commander, um, and you have a way to reuse it, either through flickering, um, you know, Faceless Butcher feasibly could be used um, in conjunction with uh, some pretty disgusting stuff like Ghostly Flicker, Displace, any of the blink effects. Oh, yeah, um, and the way sure. that works is you you exile a creature, and then with the second you know, with the with that trigger on the stack, you flicker it, and it's going to take that creature away forever. And that allows you to actually hit other things that might not be commanders. If you're targeting other things that aren't commanders with Faceless Butcher, it's a little less valuable because they can just kill it to get their creature back. But with the command zone, it's a lot better because it's reading four mana, make a two three, exile basically unconditionally target commander, um, and so. These, you can also use Grave Flicker effects like Undying Evil with them. But in this deck, we have Faceless Butcher because we can flip it off of Throne of the Dead 3 um, as a 5-6 hexproof black monster that eats your commander. And then later on, we can ninjutsu it to do it again and again and again and again. So if you're playing black, you probably ought to be playing Faceless Butcher in it just as much as you should be playing Oubliette. Um, this is a really, really good spell and definitely uh, something I encourage people to play. The, um, to wrap this uh, particular section up on Rilsa, the other things we have are Crypt Rats and Pestilence as sweepers. Pestilence and Crypt Rats uh, save your butt. They reset the board, and they also end games. They are quite simply some of the best spells in the format in black, and um, they're very dynamic. Pestilence in particular is so gross when you have a five toughness creature in the command zone. Uh, because you are sweeping the board and then you get to keep Pestilence in play. It's a two and a double black enchantment at the end of turn. If no creatures are in play, sacrifice it. You can pay a black to deal one damage to each creature and each player. Um, so this is a way to end the game when people are low life totals as well. Um, the other two sweepers are Echoing Decay and Echoing Truth, which both um, have very real uses as sweepers. Um, the deck no longer plays any edicts. I like mm -hmm. Arms of Hadar yeah. more than I like Echoing Decay. Yeah, Arms of Hadar is another one that I'm very bullish on. Um, Arms of Hadar is three and a black. The thing about mm -hmm. it is that there's no way for Gut to dodge it. Yeah, absolutely. This is, um, if you are in a meta where there are TPIs and Guts running around, you should be playing Arms of Hadar if you're in black. Um, it reads target yeah. players, creatures, all get minus two, minus two. And just <laughs> as you mentioned, it's going to kill the Gut almost every time because Gut doesn't have really any ways that they're currently playing to increase its power, or its, or sorry, its toughness. And so it kills the Gut, and then, of course, the background is no longer working that gives them the plus two, plus two on the tokens, so the tokens all die due to state-based effects. Um, Arms of Hadar is absolutely insane. Definitely a card you should play. If you like that effect and you want more and you're playing black control or mid-range, you can also play I Blight Massacre to do the same kind of thing to everybody. Um, so I, I like both of those. Echoing Decay is just here because I want the instant speed of it. Um, the This deck doesn't tend to have problems with like creatures that are bigger because I can block it with Rilsa. Like, I, like people don't send Dargos at me because I just kill right. it with Rilsa and then I get the initiative <laughs> and, again. Yeah. So I don't Dargo care that it doesn't kill Rilsa that. for it, such yeah. an insignificant amount of damage. It's for so two. It's yeah. like pressing. Oh no. Yeah. Oh no. Like, yeah. It is. The thing, it is. It's the, the thing that always <laughs> worries me about enormous. Echoing Decay is that you can blank it with a protection spell. Like no no yep, no protection right. will and... stop Arms of Hadar. Like there's there's exactly one way to stop Arms of Hadar and it's Dawn Charm. 
or like a counter spell. Yeah, that yeah. or or it could be or maybe an anthem that would buff up your toughness. Okay, sure. Um, there are ways to stop it um, that are good, but you're totally right. Like echoing decay and echoing truth are not catch alls because even more on top of what you just said, you can also kill the target. So like if they go echoing truth on your TPI token, you can just go outnumber or lightning bolt or galvanic blast. Or if you have um, if you have makeshift munitions, you just sack the creature. Right. So if it loses the target, it no longer is targeting a creature that like hasn't there's no name. Right. right? There's no creature. The whole thing. So is um, these are not catch alls. Yeah. But right. But they but they are really good. Utility, and I think yeah. my main concern is my main concern is just that right now combo is very ascendant and people seem to have forgotten that the combo players need to be pressured just like in CDH. Like they need to have their life totals reduced because otherwise with, you know, with enough time, they are going to deterministically win the game. So Echoing Decay hits all of the untappers in Gretchen. It uh, hits gut. It hits all the tokens. It's like hitting Abdel tokens. It's hitting most of the things I care about. And so that's kind of why it plays over Arms of Adar. But I could totally, like, if somebody played Arms of Adar in Rilsa, like, power to them. That's a great card. Um, and I, I definitely recommend it. So that wraps up Rilsa. Awesome. All great right. breakdown. Brad, you want to tell us about Minthara? I do. I do. Of course I do. I want to talk about Minthara all the time. But basically, a Minthara deck stays alive while applying pressure literally the only way Orzov knows how, and that is cheap, efficient removal, cheap, evasive creatures, and just a splash of lifelink or life gain. Um, Are you playing Unmake? Please tell me you're playing Unmake. I have... I'm waffling on that. I've had it yeah. in, and I've had it out, and I've had it in, and I've had it out. It is so good, though. <laughs> Probably <laughs> Angelic Purge, though, right? I believe so. It's a two and a white. Uh, yeah, yeah, cost, yeah. Sack a permanent, exile creature artifact I do not. sorcery nope. speed i need to put that on the considering list another way to trigger minthara yeah yeah my considering list is uh growing Long, i bet yeah <laughs> it's getting there yeah even not for nothing like something like uh depending on your meta soltari soltari visionary mm, the um yeah. the two mana or what yeah it's a two mana or three One... mana two two mm-hmm. with shadow when it damages a player target you know you destroy target enchantment that player controls and when that becomes a, a an eight two or a nine two or a ten two with shadow, like that's a serious problem for the table, you know, stapled to some removal. So that's nice. It's got an unblockable body with built-in removal, and you just can't really pass that up, especially when you're when you're buffing up your um, your power every single turn. You know, you get five or six experience counters on it, and it's just it's taken down the whole table by itself. Like I've seen, not with not with my Minthara deck, but I've seen that visionary kill a player by itself because they could not do anything about it <laughs> wow like it could get absolutely out of hand um, now the, you mentioned the visionary that one destroys enchantments that is correct. an unbelievable card in this meta right now oh so good um like it's it's just a three mana two two it destroys back that destroys land landors yeah like backgrounds yeah Dude, like landors, if you're in white right Oubliettes, now yeah like yeah, like one of the things that's crazy about white is that it has such an immense array of cheap, evasive creatures that you can build a whole deck with a commander completely unrelated to it around these type creatures. And that card absolutely hoses. You imagine a Gretchen player just absolutely groaning in pain. Like when they're like every turn they lose their gift of paradise, they lose their wild growth. It's like, what do they do? Right. Like they even a freed from the real if it doesn't like combo on that turn. Um, right. Yeah, sure. Super sick. Yeah, and then uh, basically to protect myself, I'm using um, Kamiya False Hope because that's just, it's a crazy good Spore Frog in white 
that um, keeps you out of combat damage. Prismatic Strands is amazing. I put it in every single white deck. It's great here, too. Uh, you can blank those more problematic combat phases with it. Uh, and then in, in my list, I don't go super heavy on the life gain. I've got Healer's Hawk and Mukotai Ambusher mm. because suddenly just hitting someone for eight lifelink out of nowhere nasty. is really, yeah, it's really nasty, really good. And then uh, you guys were talking about sweepers. I really only run Crypt Rats in my list, and that's more of a fail-safe or like a backup in case I absolutely need it. And I chose Crypt Rats over Pestilence because when they die, that triggers Minthara. I've tried running Pestilence in this deck, and it is absolutely brutal. Like, if you got 45 power worth of creatures on the board, they still only have one or two butts. Like... This deck is very fragile to very good sweepers like that. So you got to kind of be careful with stuff like that. But Crypt Rats is awesome. It'll trigger Minthara. But overall, that's really it. You're just doing Orzhov stuff. You're you're taking out problematic creatures with you know, your snuff outs and your cast downs and your go for the throats and that sort of thing. And then you're just getting a little bit of life gain. Probably not every combat. But because of the nature of Minthara, you're probably getting large chunks of life back at a time. So if it's turn 14 and everyone's down into single digits and then they look up and all of a sudden you're back at 15 or 16, that's going to be a problem for everybody else. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely huge. And that actually, you know, something that um, I didn't get to mention before is that life gain is actually a really big part of midrange, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, so Minthara having I've always thought so white, as well. Yeah, I, I, I think that being able to play the long game does require that you, in not all cases, like TPI doesn't have life gain in it. Sure. Um, although you can play, um, you can play Silvok Lifestaff, which is a great card if you're mm -hmm. in very aggressive metas. Um, but life gain allows you to play that longer game when people start beating on your doorstep. That's actually an element of of Rilsa that I didn't even mention, but that there's a lot of like lifelink effects in there so that you can hit for like six, seven, eight and gain that life. Yeah, um, Black has a lot of lifelink yeah. options, whether they're spells or creatures. I mean, you hit a lifelink creature off the throne and you're just Dude. you're going to town. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. You you put like Mokotai Ambusher in play as uh -huh. like a six five lifelinker and you buff it up um to you know eleven, you're gaining eleven every turn. It's it's a lot. So. Yeah. Yep. And two, you know, it can't be understated. I, I could put nested shambler in every single pillar because, you know, if that's an eight one and it dies, it makes eight, eight one squirrels. Like you cannot. It, nested shambler is the all star of the Minthara deck. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> it's a great it's card. So in powerful. General. Yeah. So powerful. Yeah. But 60 uh, card, you can put on, uh, was it demonic appetite on it and make it a four, four. Yeah, and uh, hit somebody and then sack it to make four <laughs> one ones. That's like one of my favorite interactions in sixty card right now. Yeah, it's so good, so good. Uh, but that's all I got for uh, old Minthy. What do you got for Vohar, Dave? How are they gonna not die while applying the pressure? Like Mayhem Devil, Vohar's control seat is pretty basic. I'm running all the you know, go for the throat, cast down all the you know, victim of night. Just what all the few mana cheap reliable ones are. Yeah. Uh -huh. The thing that Vohar does better than anyone else is Dark Withering, Just the Wind, and Murderous Compulsion, which are madness removal spells, which are going to mm -hmm. uh, let me discard them to Vohar, cast them for cheap. Like, Dark Withering costs eight to cast and one to madness. So <sighs> yeah. No one, yeah. No one has ever hard cast <laughs> that one. So good. Oh, I, I are you are you sure about that? <laughs> pretty pretty sure. 
it's got to feel real bad. No one, no one has ever hard cast that and then been glad that that happened. There, there you we go. go. There you go. We got that. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm gonna discard those to Vohar's ability to to do the life drain thing and gain a life. They were just talking about how life gain was an important part of the not dying plan. Uh, Vohar's got life mm-hmm. gain built into the ability, and yeah, and then I'm gonna cast them for madness to do the removal thing for really cheap. I do run a couple of the sweepers that have already been mentioned. Arms of Hadar, I think, is brutally powerful. So good. I'm on, I'm on Crypt Rats. Good. Uh, I think I'm on Pestilence as well in that deck. Uh, I'm not sure if I decided that two or three was the correct number. Um, Vohar is one, two. Not yeah, enormous. Okay. You could always like sack Vohar to get a spell and then pop yep. your pestilence so that you're not like losing out on your commander so much. Like you're still getting to do your yeah, commander's thing. It's possible. Um, I, yeah. I don't remember whether it's yeah. in the deck or not, but I mean, it probably should be in the current meta. Yeah. We're just gonna, we're going to do standard controlly things. And then we're going to, we're going to mid range flavorize that control by doing madness things with life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Checks out. Pretty that sick. I like think a, sounds like a pretty solid game. I plan think I went with crypt rats instead of pestilence because of call to the netherworld. Oh, yeah, because you can get it back over and over yeah. again. I think that's pretty good. I think Pestilence still sort of is one of those cards where, like, admittedly, I actually didn't have it in TPI for a little bit because when I lowered the curve, I was very concerned about, like, having this card in my hand in the opener or losing a lot of stuff. But then I realized that the Forge is always putting our stuff out of Pestilence range. Oh, Rilsa. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, sorry, sorry, my bad, Rilsa. Yeah, yeah, in Rilsa. Yeah. Um, and so, and so I frequently find it very hard to not include pestilence in my decks because it's just so dynamic, but, um, slots are tight in good decks. Am it's I right? It's true. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I was, uh, just looking at my Minthara list and we were talking about life gain. I did actually have just to get that incremental life gain. I included Omen of the Sun with scroll oh. shift. Oh yeah. <laughs> so it, sick. it triggers Minthara, gets you a little bit of life. I mean, I love that. Can't I... go wrong. You get yeah. more creatures that'll die to trigger Minthar. You get free one ones, which turn into eight ones or six ones or Ugh. seven ones or whatever you got. Like, come on. I, I just, <laughs> I just dragged those. up my my actual list. And uh, Pestilence is in here. Crypt Rats is in here. Arms of Hadar is not. Yep, yep. I don't know what happened there. Oh. Uh, that's a that's a big mistake on my part. I'll fix that. Yeah. Arms of Hadar, play that card. What, Faceless Butcher, play that what card. Is, what is in here is Evancar's Justice. Oh God, mm. I love this card. Did you okay. did you know <laughs> that so Evan Carr's Justice is a four mana black sorcery, deals two damage to each creature in each player, and it has buyback of three. So here's a fun yes. fact about Vohar's flashback ability. It says oh. <laughs> if that spell would be put into your graveyard, exile it instead. Standard issue flashback text. So you can't flashback the same thing over and over again. But if you pay the buyback cost on Evan Carr's Justice, even if you are flashing it back from your graveyard with Vohar's ability, it would not be put into your graveyard. It would be put into your hand. No, it would not. So it just doesn't get put so into your hand. Sick. You can just recycle Evan Carr's over and over. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, awesome. And 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 we should mention that that like Evan Carr's Justice is insane for the same reason in many ways that like Arms of Adar mm-hmm. and Eye Blight Massacre yeah. are. Right. If you're worried about gut players and, and truly like gut is a very good deck. So definitely prepare for it. Evan Carr's Justice. I've had games where I was like casting this every single turn and the gut player or I just had it in hand and the gut player literally couldn't do anything about it. It's like kind of sad. Yeah. Um, and this is actually it really illustrates well the fact that in this format, it's very self-regulating. 
right? Like a deck gets good. And then suddenly people are like, I have now six ways to completely end your career. Um, so like gut gets good and sudden like gut TPI Abdel, these decks are good, but look, it's just a flavor of the week, right? Like these are good decks and you should still play them, but just know that there's always going to be answers to things like at common. The answers are almost always better than the threats. Yes. And absolutely. so it's really cool that we have such a huge suite of ways to deal with that. And look, arms of Hadar was just printed. Right, like this card is like an it's it's like an indicator of what we can expect Watsy to print more of in the future because they're saying, yeah, this is oh, okay. 100%, common, yep. Right, like, and that's huge. Just like blood tokens or treasure tokens or you know all this other stuff. So beautiful. Tell me about TPI. Back to TPI. Back to TPI. Oh, I'd love to. <laughs> so, how to not die while applying pressure? TPI does this very well, with the exception of flyers, <laughs> which I've. <laughs> Which, which is not a small thing. Flyers are a big part of the format right now because they, um, they just apply pressure really well. They're great with the initiative and the Monarch. Um, several, like, like you know, you, you do actually have your sort of Eric Crocker and Sneak, which is a flyer in of itself with the initiative. So, um, these, you know, TPI does an amazing job of gumming up the ground. If you are experiencing a lot of gut players in your format, um, a gut player, like, running up against a TPI is, like, kind of a bad draft. Like... Some people, not everybody like understands this concept, so we'll just outline it briefly. But sometimes you show up at a table where your deck is just bad against what's happening. And there's not really much to do about it because a gut player who tries to kill the third path iconoclast player is denying themselves the interaction they need to not die to the combo player. But they also are going to have a tough time winning in the late game when the TPI player is creating like four tokens a turn and they can just double block on your menace tokens. So. So that'll kind of suggest that TPI does a great job of not dying by just blocking. Um, we make bodies, we block, and we stay alive. We don't yeah, have just life gain. Throw in the them deck. out there. Throw them yeah, under the bus. Put them out, yeah, put them under the bus. And, and, and that's a really great way of not dying. Any deck that can make a lot of bodies, any deck that plays a lot of creatures that has, you know, or has a lot of creatures in the deck is going to do well, I think, in the format because you're just, you're going to have a lot to use. The combat step is very important. So, that's how we that's how we don't die. We don't have fogs. We have removal. Um, we have bodies. So yeah, that that's that that's it. Pretty simple. Sure. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> very simple, very effective. Yeah. It do it do, it do the thing. Go burr. <laughs> what we got next here? All, All right. right. Moving on to pillow one, how to pivot between not dying and applying pressure. Wait, we're so, back to one? Yeah. We're uh yeah. Back We're in, an hour, an hour and do. 18 minutes into this recording, and we have finally gotten to Pillar 1. To pill Here it is. Pillar 1. <laughs> we we, we made, made it. it. We got there. Oh, so, actually, can I mention the... one thing before we go on? There is one other way that you can make people not attack you mm -hmm. and not die. And it's worth mentioning because these cards are so underplayed. And that is anything that says goad. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I am a so, big fan of Goad lately. Mm -hmm. Red does not have um, Fogs. Red has Goad. Yep. And arguably, it's kind of better. Goad is really gross right now. There's a lot of Dargos out there. There's a lot of like creatures that get bigger over time because of the Throne of the Dead 3 and because of the initiative. And there's like a lot of that stuff. There's even Voltron decks out there. Right. And so... Some of the cards you can use in red would be Coronation of Chaos. 
So if you've never heard of this card, it was also another one of these like Baldur's Gate. Am I right? Like this, this, oh my God. this set was set. so mm-hmm. stupid. Like, like such a huge thing for the format. Coronation of the Chaos came out of that. It's sorcery, two and a red. Up to three target creatures can't block and goad them. Like, wow. <laughs> so strong. I consistently want to find room for Coronation of Chaos in TPI, and I just can't seem to because the deck is just chock full of like some of the best spells ever printed for this kind of a thing. Right. Um, but it's not the only one that does that. Um, Psychic Impetus and the whole Impetus cycle, Parasitic Impetus, Martial Impetus, Shiny Impetus, and green was the... Uh, predatory. It's the five mana one. Predatory, yeah. These cards buff up a creature and they make it goaded for the rest of the game and then they give you some recursive value um, except for predatory. Predatory uh, makes it so it kills a creature every turn, which is pretty cool. But Psychic Scries, Marshall buffs the, old, the whole team of the goaded creature um, and then uh, Shiny gives you treasures. This is another way that you can not die and it's a really, really cool way to do it because you're actually, if your deck cares about killing people, maybe more quickly than not, like Mayhem Devil would be a good example. Um, what would be some other ones? TPI, maybe a little less so. Maybe it's more about the fog in that case. Rilsa really likes these two. Yeah, that, that creature is going to attack somebody else for the rest of the game and generate value for you while pressuring their life total. And if your opponents don't like it, they can kill the creature and give you a two for one. So, um, yeah, definitely consider playing those cards. Anyways, just wanted to mention that because yeah. those are spicy tech, spicy tech. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Moving, now moving into pillow one. Pivoting between the aggro and control options of these decks that we are talking about. Uh, Dave, how does Mayhem Devil do its pivoting? Yeah, so before I talk about Mayhem Devil, I want to talk about the pivoting itself just a little bit. Uh, Because I feel like what we've done, and the the reason I put all these pillars out of order is because uh, I I think that this one is the most important. The pivot is the most important, but I wanted to really establish Mm -hmm. what are we doing with the control elements, what are we doing with the aggro elements, before we talk about the switch between them. Right, And a lot of what we've talked about before has been like cards that kind of do both things. So we've been talking about cards that keep you from dying while still applying some pressure. And cards that can apply some pressure while they keep you from dying. And like, I'll, when you find a card like that, or a card or cards that can like fill both of those roles, like that's ideal. That is the yeah. mid-range card. That's Modality! Yes, <laughs> modality. Or, or even like, you know, the modality is like choosing one or the other. Like, if you can get a card that does both at once, like, that's that's the sweet spot. Um, that's the juicer. That's the juicer. But I'd, more than that, like, you have to... Playing mid-range well means getting really good at reading the board, reading board states, reading the the flow of the aggression and the control around the table, and knowing when you should be pressuring, who you should be pressuring, when you should be controlling who you should be controlling. Uh, there's a there's an article that that got run in Star City Games years and years and years ago called uh, I, I don't even remember. It, I think it's called Who's the Beatdown, and this whole article yes, is just about recognizing classic article when article. you're the beatdown and when you're the control, and things get more complicated in a multiplayer game, but the 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 purpose of this is still very much alive. So go go Google that article. Read who's the beatdown. Uh, that will make you a better mid-range player. Yes. So that's how to play mid-range, how to make in-game decisions. Uh, what I'm here to talk to you today is about designing good mid-range decks, making making decisions in the 
deck design phase of magic so that you Day have zero. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> way before turn zero uh making sure that you have these modal cards available and you have these th the pivoting strategy is a thing that you're allowed to do for mayhem devil specifically if mayhem devil is online he's going to give you a ton of pings that you get to send wherever you want and you're going to have to decide do you send them to face or to creatures do you want to pressure life totals or do you want to do board control which creatures how many creatures are you going to kill tokens with these because you can kill a bunch of them or are you going to stack all the triggers onto a four butt so you can kill that one four butt and leave the tokens alone uh you need to decide how much death touch are you going to put into the mayhem devil deck uh death touch on an instant can be completely game warping yeah death touch on an enchantment yeah. mm -hmm will warp the game briefly and then you'll get beaten to death and thrown in the dumpster behind <laughs> S because yep, no one likes that. Yep. So you like you have to these are decisions that you have to pay really close attention to. I don't have a lot of like specific cards to tell you about. I mean, I guess Blade Brand. You should have Blade yeah. Brand in your Mayhem Devil deck cuz that's not yeah. Um but like and, and actually I would I would challenge that there's there's two other ones that we talked about modality there's Battle Rage Blessing oh, the, and Offer Immortality. Yeah, the Death Touch and yeah. Indestructible Instance. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. And these do yeah, double duty. Whereas, uh, or what was it Touch of Moon Glove? If you want to be even more aggressive, it's like ab <laughs> yeah. Touch of Moon Glove is one of the nastiest things I've ever done in a Mayhem Devil deck. I like. I remember I cast it. I had, I think I had nine tokens in play. It was like I, you know, cast Mayhem Devil. Everybody looked around, and someone was like, um you know, counterspell. And I was like, pyroblast. <laughs> and uh, they just were like, uh, you can see if I kind of shrink in. And then I proceeded to mow the table down and won the game on the spot. Yeah. With touch of sure. moon glove. Cause oh, touch yeah. of moon glove. We should say it's one, one black instant, uh, plus one plus O oh, death touch. Right. And then every creature that dies due to that, uh, they, that player loses two life. Yep. So it like, it's disgusting. <laughs> yeah. So that is definitely a card you should run. And that's, that's a outstanding modal card. It'll give you the death touch so that you can do the control thing and not die while pressuring life totals. Like this is the ideal mid range card in a mayhem devil deck. Um, yeah. It goes really, it pairs really well with crypt rats as well. Oh my God. But, oh, it's beautiful <laughs> there. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, so that the, the, the thing I want to conclude the Mayhem Devil discussion with is that you it's this pivot thing is more about making wise decisions. So make wise decisions yes. when you're deck building, make wise decisions when you are playing the game, like be very be very aware of the board state, the board presence, be very aware of the meta that you're taking this into when you're trying to build the deck. That's going to make you uh the good mid-range player. You know, yeah. What I like about mid-range too, at least from my experience, you know, and this may not work for everybody or may not be the case for everybody, but learning how to play mid-range specifically, learning how to play mid-range decks better has made me a better magic player overall. Yeah. Like I've I've talked to some control players that have trouble playing an aggro deck and vice versa, aggro players that have trouble playing a control deck or like I can't play combo decks, but playing mid-range sort of teaches you all of those things it teaches you mm -hmm. when, like you're just saying dave when to be aggressive when to be controlling when to you know hide back or, you know stand back when to go forward that sort of thing so i think overall it's one of the more 
I'm not, I don't want to say complex, like it's on a pedestal or anything, but it's, it's one of the more interesting archetypes out there. And I just, I think there's a lot to it instead of just like, when you ask somebody like, Oh, what's the mid range deck? They're like early removal. And then you win in the late game. Like that's not, that's uh, not yeah. really what mid range is. I mean, it's, it's getting there. I guess yeah. if you boil it down, sure. That's what it is, but sure. there's so much more that goes into it. And it, and it, involves every facet of the game like it's multiple archetypes in one deck almost yeah yeah the the thing that really strikes me here i i think i wrote about this a little bit on in the connoisseurs that i was advocating for people to play uh mid-range but i was doing so through with the wrong justification uh, one of the reasons i like playing mid-range is that you kind of can do all the things um and and i like that dynamicism the ability to enter into a pod knowing that I have answers to not die to combo. I'm not just like out to dry mm -hmm. and that I have ways to, to defend my life total with bodies. And I have ways to pressure people through the combat step. Um, yep. And I have the tools in my deck to play a late game when I need to. So I like that. I'm very much a boomer magic player. I like to get my 3% annual return. I like a consistent deck and mid range decks tend to be pretty consistent. And so, you know, the, the argument I said was, um, was that new magic players should play mid range. And I think one of the challenges with that is that you, what you pointed out is that you actually need to know what's going on at the table really, really intimately to be a mid range player does mean that you need to be able to understand exactly what that combo player is doing and how it works. What are your opportunities for interaction and where do the, where, 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 where can you interact that's going to be the most devastating? It also means that you need to know how to communicate really clearly with the table about your intentions and about where you're going, what you're doing, and also know when it is that you're supposed to pivot to applying pressure elsewhere, for example. So yep. it takes a lot of like format knowledge. It takes a lot of like understanding what answers you have in your deck. And understanding and your opponent's decks as well. That's right. Exactly. You need to really know what those decks are doing because you have limited answers, just like mm -hmm. any other deck, but you do have them. Um, and uh, knowing when to uh, apply pressure onto the table, you know, am I developing right now or am I holding up my answers? So right. it's very challenging. It's kind of like, uh, for those of you who mountain bike, it's like riding a hardtail. Um, a hardtail is a bike that only has shocks in the front. And uh, why is that good? Well, it makes you a better mountain biker because every time you run over something that you didn't choose a good line, you're going to feel it in your back. You're going to get immediate responses from it. And may have, you know, when you're playing uh, mid-range, you're going to get punished at times when you choose to, um, when you deploy your stuff incorrectly. And I think that that lessons, those lessons are really valuable for somebody who wants to get better at the format, but it is challenging, right? And so mid-range is a way to get better, but I think it is a very like, there's a lot of skill that's going to go into understanding and not format knowledge is going to go into playing those decks well. Yeah, absolutely. So how does, uh, I want to know how Rilsa pivots between not dying and applying pressure. What's Rilsa's pillar one? That's right. So the not dying and applying pressure actually comes through the partially through the command zone and partially through the 99. Mm -hmm. um, and so Rilsa is, is a really powerful card for like 10 different reasons, but, but one of them being that it's a card that gets to sit back and block. It gets to be very defensive while also amplifying our 37 creatures. So like <laughs> over a third of the deck is creatures and making them dangerous. So 
you know, early game, it's pretty clear we're going to be attacking all the time. You know, real Sadek is probably going to even do things as radical as like bartering away the forge with the initiative mm -hmm. as a way to make the other aggro decks more powerful against the people you want to kill. Frequently, I'll let somebody get in with an impulsive pilferer or something like that, and maybe even a couple times so that they can get to the forge and the trap knowing that I'm ultimately the one who has control over the initiative. I have it in the command zone. I can regain it anytime I want with my evasive creatures and with my command zone. So um, there's less of a pivot in Rilsa because we're always attacking, right? Like we're always going to be moving in for the kill um, and we're going to be applying pressure. We want to turn on Nujutsu. We want to um, be developing our board, attacking all the time, getting these triggers with our with our ninjas. Um, and venturing with cards like Wanti, Fangblade, Shortcut Seeker, that kind of stuff. So in that sense, Rilsa is always about attacking. Or sorry, uh, the 99 is all about attacking. Rilsa gets to hang back and, and, and dissuade people from attacking. Yeah. Um, so there's that. And I think that in that case, we're, we're really looking to just play out these cheap cards, increase the pressure every turn, and then hold up stuff like removal. Um, I recently added two select counter spells to the deck, Arcane Denial and Dispersal Shield. Um, Dispersal Shield might be better as Negate, but um, or Negate might want to be in the deck too. But basically just holding up those answers while we deploy our cheap threats and so that we can do that. So I think it's actually pretty simple. We don't um, we don't probably need to talk a ton about Rilsa in that context. We're just sure. developing and holding up interaction where possible. Yeah, that's pretty much the same thing with my Minthara deck. Like... It really, really, really needs to drag the game, drag the whole table into the late game to get the most out of those experience counters. Like I said, I, I think in Pillar 2, which was the first pillar, but it wasn't Pillar 1. Numbers are fake. M numbers are fake. So I, it, The it mathematician a... has the right to say that. <laughs> that's that's right. That's right. And I trust him. <laughs> you know, without those experience counters, the deck is really just an expanded 60-card Orzov Popper deck. Like there's nothing mm, to it, you know, without those experience counters. So they've got to be on board. You gotta get Minthara into the late game, preferably turns 10 plus, 12 plus, 14, 15, somewhere around there. Oh, I mean, you're wow, in, it goes yeah, late like that. It huh? goes super late. Yeah. Yeah. If you're gonna get into the position to win, it goes super late. Uh, you know, being able to and then that's when you want to start pivot. Like you mentioned developing versus versus holding back it's gonna start to become clear in those late term late turns what you need to do but when you're when you finally do pivot to try to closing out the game it's gonna happen fast you know you got the two caneers that are gonna yeah. have you know each each token each creature is gonna have six plus experience counter six plus power they close things out in a hurry the uh the main pivot with this deck is when you're ready to actually start swinging with your whole crew you're gonna be able to take out one to two players at a time because by the time wow. you get to those late turns life totals are gonna be uh low teens or, or low low double digits single digits and that's like one and a half of your creatures to kill a player wow. and probably by then you've got some flyers you've got uh soltari visionary out there with shadow like you're gonna be taking out players really really fast and then on top of that sometimes sometimes just stonehorn dignitary is really good in a flicker deck jeez man <laughs> i mean so like with minthara you're you're prepared in many ways you're kind of like building up to this point where everything you have even if it's small kind of like Rilsa, isn't small anymore. Yes. Mm -hmm. And just like terrifying. Uh, it's like the most enticing thing about it. Like 
game goes on, your stuff gets nasty. Yeah, one of the last times I played Minthara, uh, I ended up losing because they pestilence or crypt rats what, what they wiped the board at a very very good time for them uh which pretty much killed me but i think i lost a total of eight creatures but it was almost 70 power worth of creatures oh it was insane <laughs> yeah we're definitely but, gonna have to have you uh well maybe we'll do a little uh deck tech kind of a thing where you come on the show and and yeah, absolutely. Uh, i get to ask down you for questions about minthara this has been on the list for a long time it must happen but yeah, that's it. When Minthara is ready to turn a corner, there's not much that they can do about it. It's super powerful. It can be very evasive. And if you hit the dignitary in time, they're not going to be able to crack back. So feel free to uh, swing away, Merle, as they say. <laughs> Sick. Yeah. So, uh, Dave, do you want to get back Vohar. into Vohar? Yeah. So one of the things that I... Now that I've remembered to read the things that I wrote, <laughs> one of the things I was supposed to mention about Mayhem Devil's ability to pivot back and forth between the aggro plan and the control plan is that the Mayhem Devil utilizes a lot of blood tokens, which let you loot. Mm. So if you if you have if you draw the aggro card and you're in a control situation, you can pitch it and try again. If you draw the control card and you're in an aggro situation, you can pitch it and try again. So the the ability to loot and see more cards is a huge part of this pivoting idea. And Vohar mm -hmm. is a looter. So, uh, oh, there it is. That's the yeah, thing. Look at that. We got there. Yeah, it, it loots. All coming it together. just loots. Have we, uh, we probably, we haven't even read off Vohar yet. We should probably do that. So blue and a black, uh, one, two, you tap. Well, yeah, tell, tell us, Gator. This is our Vader. We called you Vader. You want to be called Vader? Is that cool? Uh, yeah, I can be Vader. <laughs> Sick. Okay, cool. Tell us about Vohar. What is Vohar's actual text? Yeah, he's a two-mana one-two that taps to loot, and if you discard an instant or sorcery, he does a life drain thing. And then for two-mana, he gives something flashback, which is nuts. Um, so yeah, he's going to be looting all day, every day. You can really do a lot of hand sculpting to make sure that the, the cards in your hand match what you need to be doing in the game right now. It's a very powerful mm -hmm. ability. The other kind of big pivot options that Vohar has is that uh you know I, I mentioned earlier that like a huge part of the win plan for Vohar is um stronghold discipline this big life drain spell that just is going to chunk mm. off any everyone's life based on the number of creatures they have which is probably you know four or five life for everyone which is kind of huge big yikes Vohar also runs cards like drain life and consume spirit which are oh, uh, like big X damage <laughs> life drain spells. So the, these are each two, two mana and X. The X has to all be black mana, but uh, the, this deck favors black more than blue a little bit, so that's not a huge problem. Two mana and X to deal X damage to a uh, creature or player, and then you gain X life. And ostensibly, they're in the deck to just send to someone's face. You know, a, a solid, you know, seven damage straight to the dome in the late game. Maybe that ends the game. Maybe you have to just next turn spend two mana with Vohar and do it again with flashback. Like uh, maybe that's what it takes to actually end the game. But they're 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 there for the end game thing. But the pivot ability here is you can just send three damage to the creature and then gain three life. Like these can be removal spells if you need them to be. I don't think I've ever not targeted face with drain life. I haven't <laughs> either, <laughs> but like it's it's there. It's it's an option. You're allowed. The thing to, you can do. Yeah. yeah, it is a thing that is printed on the card. Yep. Are you also playing cards like um, Siphon, Spirit, and Blood 
Siphon Soul. Uh, Siphon Soul. I love Siphon Soul. Oh, those so are much. like uh, mini Garys, basically. Kind of, yeah. I think so. Let me see which ones I'm actually running. I think they're the three and four mana. One, they're they have What's the like, Gary text where yeah, you, yeah. where you, you gain that much gain blood, equal to the drain. Blood type yeah. is yeah. Uh, yeah. Looks like yeah, those both are of them great. Those are not in the deck. My my sweet here is Consume Spirit and Drain Life, which honestly might be better off as a blood tithe. Um, sure. Vampire's Kiss gives me the two blood oh, yeah. tokens so that I can. Oh drink. yeah, there you go. Uh, Crushing Disappointment drains everyone for two and draws me cards. Stronghold Discipline, yep. and then Corrupt is the the big top end. Oh God, I love Corrupt. Yeah, corrupt is really good. So good. Yeah. Yeah. Are you playing Tendrils of Corruption too? No. Okay. That's the four mana instant deals damage equal to number of swamps in play, gain that much life. Yeah. That's only creatures, right? Yep, that's right. Does not go face. Yeah, I think I I designed that particular suite to just go directly to face, so it didn't come up. I think on the Dave says, is nice because it's also a six mana murder. It doesn't but... go face, doesn't go in the deck. Uh-huh. Yeah, basically. <laughs> spinning darkness is the other one that really should be in the deck, but is yeah, right. spinning. Yeah, that's a good that's one. That's another spinning darkness uh, for all you black mages out there. Um, spinning darkness. If you are in mostly black or mono black is literally free lightning helix yeah i i don't know how that card goes not in people's decks i think it's because people just don't like they're looking black destroy right like like oh like color equals yeah. black rarity equals common um you know oh destroy and they're just not seeing that you have literally a free lightning helix um it's right. so strong it's so strong i mean it like makes thunderclap look silly Right, Thunderclap is the <laughs> two and a red instant speed. You can sack a mountain instead of paying its cost, deal three damage to target creature. This is like, take the graveyard that you're kind of done with. You do have to track your graveyard order, which is Les Mis, but like, but damn, it's worth it. Hashtag worth it, I say. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's uh, that's how Vohar's gonna pivot back and forth. All right. Amazing. Useful removal spells and lots of looting. I think we found ourselves here at Pillar 4. Pillar 4? All right. Pillar 4 is how to not run out of gas. So this pillar, as mentioned earlier in the episode, is talking about the, you know, ever so important card draw, and in some colors, just card advantage, just getting to see things. How do you keep the deck going while it's pivoting between control and aggro? Starting again with Mayhem Devil. Devil. Dave? Mayhem Devil. Wait, I did like you it. just say Mayhem Devil? It's me. Amazing. I did. I, I, I am I, the I'm Mayhem Devil. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the best thing that's been said this entire time. <laughs> I think so too. Yep. Like what's, that... what's what's sad is that wasn't even intentional. I was just tripping. <laughs> on my words. No, I, I think that just means that you just low key genius and you're not yep. in control of genius. It just sometimes 100%. like comes out right. Just spills out. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Uh, We're gonna change the intro now, right? May, yeah. Yep. We we have to. Uh, Mayhem Devils. <laughs> Uh, draw suite. His, his the the maneuvers you're gonna execute here to not run out of gas are cards like pointed discussion, which will draw two, lose two life, and make a blood. Foreboding fruit, lose two, draw two, and make a food. Deadly dispute, sacrifice something, draw two cards, and make a treasure. Like these are the cards. I see that a trend here. Right? Like. Yeah. Uh, Costly Plunder lets you sacrifice bloods or treasures to just draw cards. Um, So yeah, these this is just where the Mayhem Devil wants to be. You're sacrificing things. You're creating extra game objects that you can sacrifice for additional triggers. Uh, 
or yeah, you can you can go hard on just never running out of gas in Mayhem Devil and always yeah, have yeah. options. And one of the ways that you can uh, do that too that I I find difficult to like maximize on because I don't uh, the the way I build decks I I don't tend to want to um, like put cards in decks that need other cards to be good. I, I, I'm pretty conservative that way. It's just kind of the way I build decks. Um, it's not necessarily right or wrong. But, um, but if you wanted to with Mayhem Devil, you could play all of the Unearth, all of the Encore, all yeah. of like the mm-hmm. Escape. And then what you're doing is then you're using those blood tokens to break parity because you're actually just drawing a card. Um, mm. A really good example of that. And one of my favorite cards um, to play, and it's actually what it's not in my deck. God, I must have cut this. It's so hard to to like cut cards from Mayhem Double because it's just such a everything is so damn good. Um, <laughs> it's just like nauseating. It takes it like it takes me and a team of like three people to like sit down where they can like help me mm-hmm. help me be rational about this stuff. But um, a great example would be like Underworld Ragehound, where it actively wants to be cast from the graveyard. It's a two mana one three has to attack every turn. You can escape it for four. It comes back with. Uh, what is it? Help me. Uh, is it plus one plus one counter on it? One so plus it comes one, back yeah. as a four. Comes two? back as a four two yeah. for like four mana. I yep. think. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. There's also Underworld Charger. You know things like that. Uh, there's also some flashback spells. Like what's that black one that um, you can flash it back? It's like destroy. Is it something soot? Uh yeah, um, strangling soot. Yeah, strangling soot. There's also another one that's. Uh, there's a couple of flashback. Uh, there's like Chainer's Edict would be another one. Although I, I'm a little low on that one in this format. But seven mana. Um, that's lot. another way to break. It's a lot. Um, we can afford it. But the main thing is it's only one player, right? Like, generally speaking, edicts, like in all fairness, are there for one player, right? Like you're doing it because there's one player who gets boned particularly hard by that card. Mm-hmm. Like right. that's why edicts are there. Um, like it's a hard to kill creature. They've invested a lot in it and you make them sack it. They can't even protect it. So like, that's good. But this is one way you can break parity on mayhem devil is where you build into those things where you're putting things in the graveyard that actively want to be there. And then you're basically like blood, your blood tokens are reading one mana draw one. And that's a lot of card draw. That is so much. I mean, my, my mayhem devil has 18 spells that draw cards, 18, (laughs) Like, good God. Um, that's and I'm actually not including I'm playing... the blood tokens. No, that's so that's um, I think that does include the blood tokens oh, okay. in my case. Right. I, I think it does. Let me see. Maybe. Oh, no, no. It's more than that with the blood tokens. You're totally right. You know my deck better than I do, apparently. Um, <laughs> but basically, that's one way you can break parity. There's also the red impulse draw. So, like, I have reckless impulse and Ren's resolve in here. The one in a red sorcery speed, exile the top two cards. You can play those cards until your next turn. Um, that's another way to do that. Awesome. So it sounds like the uh, right. Mayhem Devil's tank is always full. It's hard to run out of gas in a Mayhem Devil deck. It's hard to run out of gas in the Devil. Yeah, and, and you I'm... know, just... Oh, yeah, go ahead, Liam. No, go ahead. Uh, one of the other things to keep in mind is that Mayhem Devil frequently doesn't deploy Mayhem Devil until, like, turn 7 or 8 onward. And so you always right. just have Mayhem Devil. <laughs> right. Right. It, it's just there. Um, and and my mayhem devil list in particular you know because of all the treasure makers it has 15 ramp spells right like Mm -hmm. you've got your prying blade type effects um you've got like sticky fingers you've got the main rocks 
And then you've got cards like Shiny Impetus and Hoarding Ogre, which make more and more treasures. So um, you can always just cast Mayhem Devil, and that is a card in your hand. <laughs> yeah. It's generally not a bad idea. Right. <laughs> unless, unless you, you know, you got to be careful, though. Mayhem Devil, uh, when it comes down, will frequently make you Arch Enemy. And so be very careful about deploying your Mayhem Devil. Like, really think about what it's yeah, going to do to the table. If you, if you are playing it because it gives you the ability to stop a combo player, you can leverage that into other people not stopping you but frequently it is a must counter must kill creature and that's why i don't build around it <laughs> or i'm building around <laughs> it but it's like but it's but the things are still good on their own right yeah um, so rilsa and how it runs doesn't run out of gas rilsa has creatures that draw cards when they hit people it has creatures that etb and draw where we can reuse them with the ninjutsu we have cards like Ninjutsu that allow us to redeploy creatures like our Rilsa so that we can go further into the Undercity. So Cavern Harpy, Ninjutsu, Curfew, um, things like that. Um, you can even play cards like Shrieking Drake, Keymaster Rogue. There's another card like Keymaster Rogue called like Stormcaller Merfolk or something. Mm -hmm. You know, um, basically ways to like pull a card back to your hand and reuse it again. Um, so ninjutsu is kind of a form of like resource advantage in that way, um, especially if it's drawing cards. We have uh, cards that venture into the dungeon when we hit people. Those are ways that we can keep the gas going. And that's because um, the, the Undercity is packed full of resource advantage, whether it's mana that you need, whether it's scry on your upkeep to find more card advantage or more action and make sure you don't draw lands. Um, or whether it's through producing a body, which is basically like better than drawing a card. A 4-1 skeleton token with menace oh, is better than drawing a card. Um, it's, it's insane. Like, yeah. And then there's also just archives. You can just draw a card on the fourth step if you need to. And then Throne of the Dead 3, um, where you're actually like way better than drawing a card. You're like, dig 10, put a creature into play for free, make it bigger and hard to kill. <sighs> yeah, um, like just so good. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm low-key obsessed, high-key obsessed with the initiative. Um, so those are some of like the more unusual ways that we draw cards. But in the deck, we also um, have cards like Keep Watch, um, which is two and a blue, draw a card for each attacking creature. Mm -hmm. um, if you're in blue right now, there's a really good argument to be playing this card, along with cards like um, Borrowing 100,000 Arrows. Yeah, because it's each attacking creature, that's not, right. your, not creatures you control. Exactly. Yep. yep. So it depends, like, if you're a combo deck and you're in blue and you expect to be attacked a lot, Theft of Dreams and Borrowing 100,000 Arrows are good ways to do that because you will be attacked and it's going to be a very efficient draw spell. Um, whereas keep watch in this deck, I'm attacking. So it's like very efficient right. for me to just draw a card for each attacking creature. If this is draw three, it's already above rate. It's, I've never cast it for less than that. Um, great card. You can also cast it when people attack you. If a TPI player tries to swarm you, just casually draw 11 cards. And, uh, <laughs> no big deal. You know, no big one. Yeah, no big deal. Yeah. It's, it's, so this one is like defined by these like chip draw where you're like drawing 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 a little bit here and there then there's mm -hmm. the big ones like keep watch and then the other one is rush of knowledge and mm, i wrote recently so posted about this on twitter dude uh if you are playing a blue deck and your commander is three mana or more there's probably a decent chance that rush of knowledge is going to be good Four mana is really the, the sweet spot, right? Um, because five mana draw three is on rate, but there's other cards that do that, that that, that do that five mana draw three. Um, but this deck, it's five mana draw five. Yep, So it's amazing. Rush of Knowledge is nuts. Um, the cool thing about Rush of Knowledge is that when you have other things in play, it's almost always just draw three. 
Um, and that's not bad. So if they kill your Rilsa on the stack to deny you some cards, sure. You draw three cards instead because you have yeah. like a Cloud Seer or an Audacious Thief or Ninja of the Deep Hours, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it's a great spell. The last source of card advantage we have in this deck is through the Monarch. And so we have Azure Fleet Admiral. We have Thorn of the Black Rose, Staunch Throne Guard. These are going to be another form of like just drawing more and more cards. And then all of these, um, except for Azure Fleet Admiral, are also great on the defense to like basically protect that source of card advantage and hoard it for ourselves. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a solid breakdown of Rilsa. What about Minthara, Brad? Well, we got to keep the tank full, huh? We got to not run out of gas. Basically, it's just going to be all the stuff you would expect to see in an Orzov deck of this nature. Things like Siphon Mind, uh, Spirited Companion Effects, Roving Harper, uh, Inspiring Overseer, that sort of thing. One card that I didn't add until later, which ended up being huge, is Magnifying Glass. That Those clues trigger Minthara, they draw you cards, in the late game it is a superb card. But then I've got, you know, I've got the standard bonders ornament that sort of thing i searched it my uh i did the highlighter on my minthara deck and i just searched draw and there are 22 cards in my deck that draw cards damn and that's not counting like flickering a spirited companion or what have you that just literally just the, the word draw is printed on the card so i've got plenty of ways to draw cards and i'd love it and then like ryan i also love the undercity you know i've got yeah, uh, vicious battle rager in there uh Underdark Explorer, and yeah, just jam through the Undercity, and you're going to make up some serious card advantage for sure. So being empty-handed typically is not a problem with a deck this slow, and then you add in a bunch of draw spells on top of it. You throw in, you splash in some initiative, some Undercity, and, and you're sitting you're sitting pretty good. More, more likely than not, you're going to run out of mana to spend before you run out of cards in your hand. I've noticed that quite a bit. But it's just straightforward. There's no uh, no fancy tricks, no nothing crazy. Just um, hardcore, you know, full retail black draw spells, some ETB creatures that draw you cards, some clues, and the Undercity. And you're just, uh, you're going with it. So that's what I and got. Probably playing the um, the cheap sacrifice draws, right? Um, there's sort of village rights, um, your... Corrupted conviction, yeah, deadly dispute, deadly yep. dispute, yep. reckoner's bargain, that sort of stuff, and those those are so efficient um, as draw spells. Yeah, and the new so one good. too, which I won't name for those of you concerned about spoilers out there. But there's another one. <laughs> there's another one. Yeah. So yeah, all that stuff is so good. Like it just you're and at that ratio, you know, twenty plus cards that say draw on them, you're gonna have one in your hand almost at all times. So. And I try to keep them cheap so they're easier to cast. You know, I think Siphon Mind obviously is probably the most expensive draw spell I have in the entire deck. Everything else, I mean, the Magnifying Glass can get expensive because you're spending six to draw a card. But if you can time it right, do you know make the uh, clue investigate on your opponent's instep and then crack it, you know, on your upkeep or something. That's fine. Am I supposed to be playing Magnifying Glass and Mayhem Devil? Mm. Probably. Uh, maybe that's an expensive activity. I play a grind. Is. Minthara is a grindy Orzov deck, and I still feel like it's too expensive sometimes. Yeah, it's so much mana to do it. It's it like is six. It's mana. quite a bit worse like than than Bonner's Four Ornament. to make the token. Yeah, it's four to four to investigate, and then yeah, two to crack it. And it's only colorless mana, right? It only produces. Yep, colorless. only colorless, and it's three yeah. to cast. So yeah, it even, does tap for a colorless. Though... So. Yeah, even though you get the artifact entering and the the sacrifice on the clue, I feel like Bonda's ornament 
is probably better just for being a straight up card. You don't have to invest the extra two mana. Yeah, if you're looking for straight up card draw, Magnifying Glass is not it. But Mayhem Devil, maybe. Minthara likes it because the clues are leaving the battlefield, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I could definitely be talked out of it. I'm not completely sold on it, but there are times where it's just like, yeah, Minthara has lived for four turns, and every turn I was ma- I I was able to crack a clue, so it just wow. you know I I got four extra power. Yeah, that's super strong, and the ability to have like an onboard on command way to trigger Minthara, um, very like reliable way, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah, so 100%. and and a lot of times I imagine you just like accumulate them. Right, yeah. like you just have just a bunch, and maybe later. you have lots of cards in hand, but you just have these things, right? Yeah, same with like you know, Commander Sphere, Omen of the Sun, all that stuff. If you know, Mind Stone, hold on to it until you absolutely yeah. need to crack it to trigger your commander. Yeah, Blood Fountain, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So yeah, that's uh, that's how old Menti draws cards. How does Vohar do it, Dave? So I don't know if we've talked about what Vohar does yet, but uh, in case in case I forgot to say that earlier, Vohar is a two mana one two, and his ability taps to draw a card. Huh? Built in gas. There it is. The end. That's it. <laughs> he loots. Every. That's it. Yeah. Uh, he loots. And you break guard parity loots. with looting. Yeah. He scores. Yep. yep. He loots. He, he scores. Loots. Yeah. yeah. Liam is on fire. Just, just Damn, dude. Just card a madness spell. <laughs> You know, we have a guy in our, um, or a person, actually, I don't know their gender, but um, uh, they go by Vector in the Common Connoisseurs, and I've elevated them to Master of Memes because they accomplish a similar thing <laughs> to what uh, to what Liam seems to just do um, on, on instinct. Maybe I'm spending too much time around these high schoolers. <laughs> the, the draw card that I've been really excited about lately is called Malkator's Watcher. Oh my uh, god, yeah, all I love that so much. Like, so much. This does everything yeah. you want. It's a two mana, one one, flying vigilance when it dies, draw a card. This yep. for a for a two mana Artifact. investment, this is an evasive threat that can it it will it will fly right over top of Rilsa to get you the initiative. It'll fly yep. right over top of all of TPI's stuff to get you the monarchy to just get you all the advantage play the of that. <laughs> It'll fly over someone's something to get some kind of monarchy. Someone, it'll something. it'll it'll get in there for monarchy and initiative all day, every day, and it has vigilance. It will block whatever you want it to yeah, block, and then it vigilance. draws a card when it dies. Vigilance on a flying artifact. Vigilance creature. on a come on one one flying artifact yeah. for two mana. Yeah, yeah, been a that big fan of that. Was in Rilsa for a long time, it's, or not a long time because it just came out, but yeah. it was that vigilance is amazing. Yeah, one. Uh, Another creature that I've been pretty hooked on lately is Guild Sworn Prowler. Yeah, it's a good the one. one that draws if it wasn't blocking or something like Two that. Two one death touch. Uh, yeah. If it wasn't blocking, yeah, draw a card if it died. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. So Those good. are you know these are like in my considering list in Rilsa because <laughs> they're, yeah, sure. they're they're great. Um, and what's cool about them too is that when somebody like moves to address your board with a sweeper, for example, mm-hmm. and they die, you you refill. Um, yeah. and, <laughs> and, sure and that's, that's, that's so good. There, there's another one in that same line along with Malkator's Watcher, which is, um, oh my God, my brain is mush. Um, hold on one sec. Let me find it. It's two mana, um, double blue, uh, Thalico Seer. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Which is mm-hmm. double blue that's, shadow when it leaves that's play. Not a card. dies trigger. That's a that's lethal not battlefield, a trigger. Trigger. battlefield trigger. So yeah. you can ninjutsu so, it back to your hand yeah, and just exactly. uh, that's my f- cards Falco for days. Seer that's, is sick. That's my favorite card in Marshgrad. 
Yeah. Oh, so yeah. Totally. It's insane. Stops. Yeah, for sure. Um, and actually, another card in that same vein that that is really similar to Malkator's Watcher in a lot of ways. Um, but it's uh, the Modern Age. Mm-hmm. This yeah, is a card good. that I, I really, really love. It's a bit tough in Rilsa because we don't have anything from the graveyard that we cast. But like, it's one in a blue saga. Um, you're gonna loot and you're gonna loot on the first two stages, and then you're gonna flip it into a two-three flyer. And if you can ninjutsu it or return it back to your hand, you can do it all over again. Uh, it's a great body for a good rate. It's just very slow. And so when we play it on turn two, it just it's not attacking until turn five, um, which is not really good enough. But it's another good two-drop evasive value creature. Yeah. Oh, and I just realized one that I added to Minthara that I haven't... I, it's so new, I haven't even had a chance to play with it yet. But I put in Dawn Glare Invoker to like oh, tap, yeah. tap down creatures. Love that. Yeah. Uh, funny story about that, that one. Out. I lost um, I lost a round of a tournament uh, called the Rags to Riches, which is mm-hmm. a sick, which for a long time was the largest 60 card popper tournament in the United States. And it yeah. was in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, super fun. Used to bring a team down there. We would prepare for it a lot and we would we would do very well. And um, the Dawn Glare Invoker, there was a Tron deck actually. So using the Urza lands that had Dawn Glare Invoker in it to just repeatedly tap down all of your opponent's stuff every turn as a way to utilize all their mana. And they actually won. They won the whole tournament. It was so oh gross. Oh my god, that's crazy. Yeah, it was like Stonehorn Dignitary and that. And it was just <laughs> of like, course, of course dude, you was. like kill these things and then they're like Pulse of Marasa, get it back and you just, just like, oh, just concede. Gross. You just concede. Like, it's yeah. so sad. <laughs> so yeah. The other way that Vohar doesn't run out of gas shifting gears a little bit is uh sure i'm not sure if we've talked about what vohar does yet but vohar can sacrifice himself for two mana to give a card flashback you can play anything you want from your graveyard anytime you want you want to get you want to siphon mind a second time go for it It costs six mana god yeah because it doesn't say you know do this only as a sorcery or only on your turn no it is it is sorcery oh is it sorcery speed yeah, yeah. Two, two, mana, two mana sacrifice some sorcery speed to yeah. cast whatever you want from your graveyard, like Siphon Mind. Like, yeah. like a Siphon Mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's nuts. And this is one of the coolest things about Vohar is so many people get locked into thinking that Vohar needs to be a combo deck no. because you're like right. getting a spell exactly. back. And, and, and in fact, I've played against Vohar quite a bit um, and never a build like yours, um, uh, Alk. And I've never been impressed with it. It it never felt like it was the thing that was going to kill me. The life drain literally didn't matter. And the cl- the combo felt clunky. This build you're talking about sounds like what I would want to play if I played Vohar. Like, just grind them to dust. It's kind of like Demir Witherbloom Apprentice, isn't it? It's very much like Witherbloom. Sure. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a good analogy. So this analogy. is kind of funny mm-hmm. because, like, you know, actually, for it's... those of you who've been sticking with me for a long time, first Let's Build I ever did was on Rona. And I ended up being not that impressed because Rona doesn't gain you life. And like, it's just, it's kind of a big deal. Like you're, you know, you, you need that to stabilize. Vohar does all of that while generating card advantage. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's really cool. I, we might, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe then. Vohar, there's Witherbloom that just madnesses creatures in play constantly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's, that's awesome. really cool. I like that a lot. We'll definitely have to get you on the show too to talk about your Vohar deck. This is it sick. does the it does all the madness because it loots. I don't know if you yep. covered that. <laughs> it day, does so. loot. It do be looting. <laughs> it do be looting. It's the loot scooter. It is the mirror. loot scooter. There you go. 
I, awesome. I love that I get to talk about Vohar's looting in every single one of these pillars. Yep. Yes, you, <laughs> you really do. do. Yeah. It's a big part of the deck. Yeah, it's huge. <laughs> All right. And Ryan, TPI, how's it not running out of gas? Well, TPI just doesn't. It and really doesn't. Oh, my God. It yeah. just doesn't. <laughs> I've had one game, and it was actually, sadly, it was during the um, CPDH tournament, the Sanctuary Open. Um, mm -hmm. I had one game, and this is the only game I've ever played with TPI where I ran out of gas. And, um, and I drew like 10 lands in a row, I think. Um, so we'll just chalk that up to bad beats. Um, sure, sure. And, but yeah, I, I don't know that there's a deck in CPDH that draws more than TPI. I, they're like, how many decks get to run Thoughtcast? Like, how many draw threes do we have just, like, for... Shared like, discovery? Like, I mean, you're, yeah, sure. you're, like adding, you're adding Thoughtcast to a Blitz deck. Like, that yeah, is like, wild. Yeah, like, what the hell? Yeah. Like, we get to play... <laughs> uh, we, we get to play Of One Mind, which is Thoughtcast. Meeting of the Minds. Of One Mind is Hello. stupid. Like, you just... You have a commander that literally is a human that makes non-humans. So it's one mana draw two. Yeah. You've got one mana draw two with Thoughtcast because all your tokens are sold. They're, they're artifacts, right? You have shared discovery, which is literally just ancestral recall um, in the deck. Right. One mana, additional cast, tap four untapped creatures you control, draw three. You have treasure cruise, which is disgustingly easy to enable because what are we doing? We have like 40% of our deck is just going into our graveyard when we cast it. Um, yep. And then backing all, and then, oh, and then we have Meeting of Minds, which, like... Oh, my God. Meeting of so Minds. So good. I've had Meeting of Minds online on turn three, and it was sure. free. <laughs> free Meeting yep. of Minds on turn three. <laughs> and you know what? I hit it off of it? Distant Melody. It was like... Oh, my Whoa. God. Oh, my <laughs> God. So, like, you've got all these amazing things. You've got ways to find them with cards like Consider, Opt, Ponder, Preordain, Sleight of Hand, these one-mana card selection spells that basically serve to like create bodies while also finding our really important stuff, like our pingers, our card advantage, our Ophidian eye type effects, our curiosity, that kind of stuff. And then at the top end, you have these insane things like Keep Watch and Distant Melody. And literally it's like not a meme, but like to say that I, I like drawing 10 cards is nominally easy mm -hmm. with any one of these cards. When you draw 10, your odds of winning the game are very high. Like you just, you just like- Do you, do you run uh, Galvanic Relay in your list? I don't. I could. A person sure. could do that. I think it's in the, mine, but that yeah, was, I, so, I haven't updated it since we've got all these awesome draw spells. So. Right. Um, yes, so Galvanic Relay is in your list. Yeah. I, <laughs> I will make an argument against Galvanic Relay in my list, and, and, and in any list that is doing Curiosity. That's TPI, fair. as a mid-range deck with access to blue, does want to run Counterspells. And where those impulse draw effects, draws that basically exile it face up, um, you have the ability to cast it that turn or the next turn. They not only like put that stuff face up, but you have a limited time frame to use it. Yeah, so for sure. Mm -hmm. What I don't like about those cards, and this includes Ren's Resolve, and it includes um, Reckless Impulse, mm -hmm. um, which are both great cards. And they actually used to be in the deck until somebody called me out on it and was like, you know, these are kind of bad with like, you know, the other things that you're doing in your deck. And I think that they were right on that. Like um, even, you know, experimental synth, although experimental synth is just one mana. So it's like, 
you know, if you flip something and you don't like it, you can always flip it again and you're going to get a body out of it. And it's one mana. So I, I don't, there's probably a good reason for that too. But we don't play those because we don't want to flip Ophidian Eye when we don't have a pinger. And we don't really want to flip spells that we can't cast or spells that we want to be a surprise, like removal or counter spells. Um, sure. So I don't run those, but I think that um, in a deck, uh, a version of TPI that is more balls to the wall aggro, where you, you know, you're still probably playing ramp because the ramp helps facilitate your casting of the TPI and makes bodies. It's like just never bad. Um, you then could use things like that. And instead of having counter spells in the deck, maybe you just have more burn. Stuff like collateral damage, uh, heart fire, um, artillerize, um, reckless abandon, these like things that go face that can also be removal that mm -hmm. cost a creature. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a big proponent of like trying different versions of TPI out. And I think that, um, that those impulse draws fit well in that context, more aggressive. Uh, mine is actually a bit more controlling, I would say. Um, sure. That's so, fair. so yeah, we've got the keep watch distant melody. We've got all the, the card selection. We've got the big draw spells that are cheap as well. But then the last one is of course our curiosity combo. And we haven't talked about this at all yet, but, um, or not much, but the pingers paired with Ophidian Eye and Tandem Lookout oh, so are gross. so <laughs> gross. Um, so I, gross. Yeah, I, I didn't, I've never played Curiosity style decks before um, until TPI. I'm not like some Niv-Mizzet enjoyer, mm -hmm. um, but I sure as hell am now because, uh, um, you know, you get these turns where you end step Ophidian Eye, you protect your creature with a counter spell, um, and then next turn you draw 15 cards, uh, like no problem. Because these cards say whenever you deal damage to an opponent, you're going to draw a card. Each one of these cards that deals damage with a pinger is going to deal damage to each opponent. So you're going to draw three cards off of every card you draw. And it's self-perpetuating. When you right. draw your first three cards, you're going to draw a one-mana spell, right? Like you're going to draw cheap stuff. And if you didn't draw that one, maybe it's on your next one. And so then you just draw all these cards. And then at the end of your turn, you just discard everything you don't need. And you keep a handful of like three counter spells, two removal spells, a protection spell, and a draw spell. And you just like, <laughs> and you don't even need the draw spell because you have the pinger. Uh, right. We have two ways to do that, Aphidian Eye and Tandem Lookout. Um, Tandem Lookout arguably should be in Rilsa too. I'm just thinking about that now with all these like unblockable creatures. It's like really good. Yeah, um, super so good. yeah, that's the other way we don't run a gas there. Um, and that's, that's really... That's really it. Um, it. I mean, it's it's a lot, so it's not really just it, but it but <laughs> it's it's it draws a ton of cards, um, yeah. and that's one of the really fun things about this deck is that you have this soft combo that is pressuring people and gaining you card advantage. Um, yeah, so, absolutely. Yep. And also, just as a heads up, tandem lookout. Try to kill the tandem lookout and not the pinger, because the way soul bond works is that we're going to be able to repair it with anything else. So with I played the next a game you put into play, right? Yeah. Soul bond allows you um, when you, when another creature comes into play, you just soul bond it. And, um, and so I had a, an instance where somebody was like, they didn't want to take the damage. And so they killed the firebrand archer. And then I just played Kessig flame breather. Yep. And then I just did it again. Wah, wah. Yeah. And they felt sad. So, yep. Yeah. So yeah, that's TPI. That's how we, that's how we keep the, um, keep the cards coming. Yeah, that's not even a full tank. That's like an overflowing tank. Yeah, it's so much that you're like discarding great stuff. Sure, like all the time. Yeah, but, I mean, I mean, it turns out when every other spell does what the deck wants to do and draws cards, it's pretty good. Exactly. Have you guys seen that movie yeah, Zoolander? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Oh, I 
I love yep. it. What is that? A house for ants? Do, do you remember that scene where they're just spraying gasoline out of the nozzle gasoline. all over? <laughs> yes. That's what yes. Tandem Lookout does in uh, TPI. Uh-huh. Pretty I much. think I'm going to need to yeah. make some like hackneyed meme of that yeah. where like I do like some image tracking of the face and I have just like Tandem Lookout <laughs> on one face and like all of the pingers on the other and they're just like spraying gasoline all over themselves and they're so excited yeah. and that's exactly how it feels yeah. you just like you're like you're looking at your hand and you're like i have 12 cards and i can cast four more spells and i'm not going to because i probably want some of those spells yeah yep. you don't want to discard them all yes exactly and yeah. and it's nuts i mean you get these turns where you do that and then you're just like massive raid and the game yep. or like volatile claws and the game um yep so yeah, super fun. <laughs> I love TPI. What can I say? I love I love uh, what 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 is that? Um, oh God, from Anchorman, where um, where Brett I love goes, lamp. I love lamp. I love lamp. <laughs> I love lamp. I love lamp. Do you, do you really love say? lamp, or are you just saying that because we're all saying that we love something? I love. Lamp. I love lamp. I love lamp. Yeah. Yeah. It's more insistent on the second time. Yeah. It's very clear. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So there you go. Whew. Wow, we've covered a lot of ground. We have. This is basically Whew. like uh, a like a quad deck tech. Yeah, just we about. Were, yep. We were uh we wanted this to be a little more uh high altitude, but we got so in depth with these decks that we uh we didn't talk about some of them we were supposed to. So, if you want to uh if you want to hear about what we think about Spirit Marger and Seder Enchanter, you'll have to uh join the Patreon and check out the show notes. <laughs> That's right. There you go. Hit us up on yeah. Twitter. And maybe I can, um, you probably have lists for it as well, but I'm happy to offer a Seder Enchanter list if that's uh, what Yeah, absolutely. I can put all Definitely. that stuff down into yeah, we, the show yeah, notes. We want to, yeah, we'll get that linked up in the show notes if you can send us, yeah. send it that way. And keep in mind, all the decks that we've talked about too, there's lots of good ways to build them. So the way oh, we're talking about sure. them mm -hmm. is, yep. is not the only way. I think that's well, an important thing to, to think, keep in mind. I think there's one good way to build Vohar, and there's a lot of bad ways to build it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We well, you know, you, that's, fair. that's fair. Pretty underwhelming. I, I, you know what? Um, I'm going to agree with you on that. I, 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 I tend not to, and I want to always encourage people to build what they want to build. Right. Like this is like the one, like Derek is always challenging me to, uh, you know, from the, from the RC and one of the people that frequents my, my show, um, you know, is frequently encouraging me to try out casual and, um, playing casual PDH. And I feel like, um, the, like the casual part of me that I've been adopting lately that feels really wholesome is regardless of whether somebody's deck, whether I think or somebody else thinks that somebody's deck is competitive or not, if they think it is, that's good enough. I want them to play. Um, and they can eat the consequences of it, right? Like if they don't, if their deck doesn't work out for them, right? Like they, they can, you know, they know what they're getting into um, and they can, and they can make adjustments and, and stuff like that. But increasingly, the reason I'm leaning that way is because I want people to build decks and build it the way they want to build it because they like the way it's built. And so I, I shy away from saying that there's wrong ways to build decks um, because, you know, that they're just, they're, it's, it's, I, I don't know. I'm not like some, you know, like wizard seer who can like, you know, see that a deck is just, oh, this is God awful. Um, maybe with the exception of Vohar, because you built it, Alcadron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm going to link up. All right. Madness, 
mid-range Vohar list in the show notes. There you go. We'll, we'll make sure that you have access to that one. If you want to dig up some combo Vohar lists, you can, but like, uh, recognize yeah. that they're not as good. <laughs> as long as you know that going yeah. in. Yeah. And for those of you who made it to this part of the podcast, A, you're a hero. <laughs> um, and, uh, and B, I think, uh, I think you, you might be wanting to keep your eye out on the horizon for, um, for maybe a little, uh, maybe we get Dave on on my show, and maybe Dave can yeah. talk a little bit, talk there a little bit about Vohar, <clears throat> which will be great because we won't be like changing anything. We'll just be talking about how cool it is, yeah. right? Um, you know, and uh, the same with Minthara because uh, I can't touch Minthara with a ten foot pole. I'm gonna have to take that <laughs> that deck, and I'm just gonna play that deck because I awesome. I get scared when I see Minthara. From a deck builder standpoint, it looks like Mayhem Devil, or it's like, oh, this has like 400 cards that could go into it, and they're all good. <laughs> so we yep. we are going to have to change a couple things about Hadar because over the course of this conversation, I realized that there's a few things missing, like Arms of Hadar. Uh oh, you mean in Vohar? You yeah, mean? in Vohar. What did I say, Minthar? Sorry. Yeah, you said, you said uh, Hadar. You said Hadar. Hadar. <laughs> in Hadar, Vohar. we don't have Hadar. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, it's true. In in my in my Hadar Voldanian Desecrator deck, I don't have arms Bohar. Nailed it. I'm so good at podcasting. Nailed it. This is this is why I'm a professional. Professional I mean, podcaster. <laughs> I feel like I'm in the professional uh in the uh presence of professionals. So um <laughs> for what it's worth there. Um you guys are pretty damn great. Well, I thank you. I think you're pretty damn great, and I'm really grateful that you got no. to join us for this adventure exploring mid-range decks it was it's i love me a good mid-range this this popper commander sphere is just like this really like wonderful space where uh there's so much cool stuff going on there's so many great content creators in fact um just wanted to mention there's another another content creator who's uh, just posted in my channel that i just shout them out real quick uh it sure. is cpdh tv so when you get a chance, um, their name on Discord is CPDH TV. It used to be something else. I can't remember. No, it's gone now. They changed it. Um, but yeah, there's so many cool content creators out there. You all are among the finest. Um, and I've been Aww. listening to all your episodes. I you know work in a warehouse and I get all this time to like listen to stuff. And it's, it's always great to hear your voices coming through my headphones. That's awesome. very flattering that. to hear from another of the greatest Oh, yeah, mad that streamer, <laughs> apparently. Yeah, 113 in 180 days. That's, <laughs> that is preserved. Yeah, it is nuts. And that, you know, we have um, 173 videos total right now, I think. It's it's starting to yeah. get kind of out of control. Um, yeah. And we just, I, I just posted this on Twitter. We actually just last week broke 1,500 subscribers, which oh, I didn't even see amazing. it until today. And <laughs> I was like, oh my God. It's all grown up. Uh -huh. So, yeah, yeah, we're all work, working together to 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 get those numbers up for for everyone. So awesome! Congratulations on that. You guys earned Thank it. You. you work hard. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah I play, will uh, play as a play as a beast. Yeah, I'll put all the uh, the links to all your content and all your twitters and everything down into the show notes. But I think we need to move into the outro. As usual, if you need more Popper Commander talk, have any questions about the format, you can always email the show at thepdhpod at gmail.com. 
you can head on over to the PDH Homebase's website. That'll take you to their Discord server. Uh, you can find Liam and I on Twitter at Popper Command and Popper underscore B, respectively. And you can always find Dave maybe lurking on Twitter, but usually as the Alcadron, everywhere else PDH is being talked about. Uh, Ryan, you want to throw us a couple quick links for everyone to hear, and then I will also put them down into the show notes. Maybe YouTube, Absolutely. Twitter, that sort of thing. Yep, that's right. So YouTube.com backslash Common Connoisseurs. And uh, on Twitter, uh, I am Papa underscore Popper. And you can also find me on Moxfield at Papa Popper. It's just one word there. And then you can find Clay at the Tryhard7, I believe it is, um, mm -hmm. uh, who also posts great stuff about PDH. And um, I think that's it. We'll maybe have a link to the Discord as well. Um, sure. Yeah. Whatever you, you want to. Whatever you want to yeah. give the people, I'll throw it down in in the details. For sure. For those of you interested in getting um, games of CPDH in. Um, you're absolutely welcome to do so in the server. We have a very active community of people playing games. Um, you can just do at LFG um, to get uh, games there too. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great place to hang out and talk about your decks, just like it is over in the, uh, the Pals. Or, sorry, the, the Pod, uh, Pals. Jeez. <laughs> the Pals too, they're pretty the fucking pals great, too. aren't yeah, they? Yeah, Pals are great too. Pardon me if you have to bleep that out, but <laughs> definitely deserves the expletive. Yeah, no, all good, all good. But... As episode 51 of the PDH pod comes to a close, we want to give a big thanks to MTG Brad for letting us use their sweet tunes for the show. And from everyone in here to everyone out there, brew a deck, pivot yourself for the win, and we'll see you in about a week. Say goodbye, everybody. Cheers. Peace. Bye. See you. Party.